Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you guys waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. The options are endless with Factor. Two-minute meals. Fill up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. How about some snacks, some smoothies, and more? Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is also the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. And you guys can be very flexible with your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the most important part, there's no prep. No mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping. There's no cooking or cleanup that is needed. If that sounds great to you guys, head to factormeals.com slash script 50 and use code script 50 to get 50% off. That's code script 50 at factormeals.com slash script 50 to get 50% off. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Why is AEW successful? Why is Tony Khan running his promotion better than Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard are running Monday night and Friday night? Long-term booking.
What is going on, guys? Thank you so very much for joining me on this Thursday evening. It is Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. I am your host, JD, from New York. And this is the OTS venue. Thank you guys very much for joining me on your Thursday nights, wherever you may be. I wanted to go live tonight, man. I typically do not do anything on Thursday. I wanted to go live on Thursday. I wanted to come on here and hang out. I don't really have many of these left for the rest of 2021. But I want to come on here tonight and talk about the top matches of 2021. And like I said in the beginning, in the intro, I have seen it all this year, man. I've seen it all. WWE, AEW, I have intently watched professional wrestling all year with 2020 vision. Clearer than anybody. I saw WWE creatively the worst it's ever been this year. I've seen AEW have an unprecedented and historic second year bringing in Brian Danielson and CM Punk having some of the best pay-per-views that I can remember watching, some of which I was able to experience live. But some of the best professional wrestling that I think I've ever seen, period, in all of my years of professional wrestling watching this great sport. There are things that I wish I did not have to sit through. There are things that I wish I did not sit here every single week and express and be right on. I wish I was wrong on some things. There were some things in WWE that made me sick to my stomach. Paul Levesque being removed from NXT. That one is still a bitter pill to swallow. NXT being destroyed. Monday night just absolutely being the worst night of the week. If you are a professional wrestling fan. The lack of women's wrestling in WWE. The lack of tag team wrestling in WWE. The lack of talent being pushed at the top of the card. The lack of baby faces getting over in WWE. The lack of roster on SmackDown side for Roman Reigns. I mean, there is a C of wrong in WWE. And I I feel like a broken record. Feel like a broken record. And and the funny thing is, you know, there, there will be people out there. And I don't really understand why. Because before AEW was even a thing, I was shitting on WWE for years. You guys know this very well. Before AEW was even a thing, I was shitting on WWE Weekly for their horrendous programming. AEW comes along, and it's almost a saving grace to save us from shit booking. Saving us from torture. Five hours a week of WWE television. And there are people out there that that tend to think I'm on Tony Khan's payroll. 
It, it's amazing. You know, AEW comes around and all of a sudden I'm clickbaiting and I'm fucking uh, putting AEW positive reviews online because I'm looking to get a job with Tony Khan. Listen, I'm wearing this fucking hoodie because I'm sick. I'm also wearing this hoodie because I look fucking great in it. I don't give a shit what the fuck is on the hoodie. I cover AEW because I think it's a great fucking product. If AEW wasn't a great product, I'd probably still still end up watching it. I would probably still end up reviewing it because it's the second biggest promotion in all of professional wrestling. But if AEW wasn't good, I would have already told you. And sometimes when they do things that I don't agree with, I absolutely shit all over them. We do that on Wednesday night. You see, if WWE actually had a decent program... I'd let you know. I'm not some fucking apologist. I, I don't uh, I don't sit here and, and hope things will get better. I know they won't. I know they won't. But if we don't voice our concerns on things, then it will never get better. It will never get better. I'm not the type of guy to give up so easily. I'm not. That's why I have cried louder and louder and louder every single year I do this. And I feel like next year I'm going to cry even louder than I did this year. And I know nothing will change. I know nothing will get better. But I do know one thing. I will be here delivering the best fucking show in the entire IWC. I will be the bearer of bad news to everybody that doesn't want to hear it. The truth fucking hurts, bitch. Truth hurts. If you don't like it, go watch somebody else that's going to fucking find something good with the show that we all know Fucking socks. Stop trying to find good in a pile of dumpster fire dog shit. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I would rather you be open and honest with me. Instead of lying to my fucking face. There's genuinely nothing good about WWE programming and AEW. When when you look at my top 10, most of it is AEW. And there's a reason for that, because they did the majority of what they did this year. Correct. WWE, outside of Roman Reigns, did not. We will be going over the top 10. I will be unveiling my number one professional wrestler of the entire year. If you think it's Roman Reigns, you are sadly mistaken. It is not Roman Reigns. I think Roman Reigns' title run has been good for Roman Reigns. Has it been good for WWE? No. Of course it hasn't. I was completely misinformed about what WWE was doing with Roman Reigns. I thought they were going to use Roman Reigns as a catalyst to get everybody else around him to be even better. And they did not do anything close to that. It's all about Roman. And fuck everybody else. So I was once high on the Roman Universal Championship title reign. I am not really high on it anymore. I'm actually quite frustrated with it. Not only because WWE has made it all about Roman, but they really don't know how to surround Roman with top-tier challengers and opponents to really drive interest to the brand that he's on. If you look at that SmackDown roster, it is the drizzling fucking shits. That roster is terrible. 
So it's not Roman Reigns. It's not Roman Reigns. I'll give you a guess uh, on where this individual wrestles. He wrestles on Wednesday night. I'm sure you guys know who the answer is anyway. But I also got news and rumors. I got news. I got all your regular weekly news and rumors wrapped up into one show today. So thank you guys for joining me on Off the Script. I guess this is uh, this could be considered episode 402 of the podcast on your Thursday night, man. So I thank you guys very much for uh, joining me, no matter where you guys are watching me this evening. Follow me on social media, guys, at JD from NY206. That's Twitter and Instagram. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for all notifications. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up as well, man. Thumbs up on the video, on the live stream. Completely help it out tremendously. If you guys hit that thumbs up, you will be able to get the podcast into the recommended section on YouTube. So when you go watch Wrestle Geeks, which I know none of you do because they fucking suck. If you guys go watch Wrestle Geeks, you'll see JD and Off the Script right in the sub bar there on the sidebar recommended section on YouTube. You know how you do that? By hitting the thumbs up. So make sure you guys go and do that and help the podcast out and get it in front of more eyes and more ears. Super Chats, get them on in. This will be the last time before Friday you guys can get some Super Chats in on the live streams. I'd love to engage in discussion tonight, so if you guys want to chime in on what you guys think are the best professional wrestling matches of the entire year, and you guys want to tell me who your number one professional wrestler is all year, you guys can sound off in the Super Chats, man. So make sure you guys get them on in. The bar is rocking and rolling. Get those orders in, and we'll hang out and read through them all at the end of the show. Click that join button as well, man. We already got a new member in the venue, and I appreciate you guys so much for becoming VIPs. We got LJ from BK becoming a new member in the venue already. LJ, what are you drinking, bro? First round is on me. Make sure you guys hit that join button. You get those custom emotes, full access to them, plus those OTS badges next to your name to show up your VIP status. So make sure you guys go and hit that join button and become a VIP and sit right back there in the VIP section with me. Also, go check out all the other videos that you might have missed on the channel. We got Monday Night Raw, terrible program. Tuesday night, we had NXT. We talked about AJ Styles and what I thought of his appearance on Tuesday night. Last night, Jesse and I were live for AEW Dynamite Holiday Bash. AEW back over a million viewers. Last night for Holiday Bash, the E-Drones are having a fucking heart attack tonight on social media. Good for them. Good for them. They don't know how to fucking show everybody that they have no lives. But good shit for AEW, man. That's what happens when uh, things get back to normal. So go check out all that stuff, and then I will be live tomorrow for SmackDown. There will be no Rampage tomorrow night. Because uh, they have a Holiday Bash Night 2 for Rampage happening not on Friday, but on Saturday. So make sure you guys uh, tune in to the Friday Night Show. We will be covering the holiday edition of SmackDown. Tony Storm versus Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And a 12-man holiday gauntlet match where the number one contender will be crowned. And I'm assuming that will be for the Intercontinental Championship and Shinsuke 
Nakamura. So we will be live tomorrow night with that on Off the Scripts. And tonight's show is sponsored by my great friends over at Manscaped. Manscaped.com. You guys are going to use code SCRIPT20 at checkout. Not only for the 20% off, but you guys are going to get free shipping as well. Manscaped.com. So use code SCRIPT20 and save yourself some money this holiday season. Let's get into the news, guys. Start at the top, as usual. We got a potential spoiler. No spoilers or uh, or anything of uh, of the such for Rampage or SmackDown. I will be not. I will not be talking about the spoilers for those shows this coming weekend. But I got a potential spoiler on the main event for the WWE Royal Rumble. Believe it or not. Now, as you guys know, Roman Reigns will be defending the Universal Championship against Brock Lesnar at Day One. And that's going to be taking place on January 1 in Atlanta. But it looks like Drew McIntyre's feud with Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss will be wrapping up soon. And Roman Reigns will reportedly be moving on to a new feud after January 1. Now, it was announced on Friday Night SmackDown that Drew McIntyre will be facing Mad Cat Moss... I don't know why, at day one on January 1. Now, the match was announced after Corbin made the suggestion for Moss to take the match. They could also be teasing, I guess, a breakup of sorts with Matt Cat Moss and Happy Corbin. This is not the first time we've seen them tease a breakup between these two, which probably won't be uh, good news for Matt Cat Moss. It only... Uh, kind of exacerbates him moving to the unemployment line. At the recent house shows, McIntyre has been wrestling Sheamus and Moss. They've also been doing six-man tags with McIntyre teaming with various people against the Usos and Roman Reigns. And McIntyre is advertised to team up with the New Day against the Bloodline at house shows in January, which means that the New Day versus the Usos And that feud will likely continue. And it looks like Drew McIntyre will be moving on to challenge Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. So we could have the New Day and the Usos feud continuing into the Royal Rumble, which I don't like at all. We've seen that way too many times. Way too many times to my liking, personally. And it only highlights the major issue in WWE as far as its tag team division is concerned because the only fucking teams that get pushed are the New Day and the Usos. And it's quite fucking annoying. It's quite sickening and sad, to be honest with you. There are other teams in the WWE. There are. WWE might not realize they have other teams, but there are other teams. And I don't know how you can have a competitive division on one fucking show if the same two teams are always at the top, trading the titles back and forth all year round. Don't you think it's going to get boring? Merge the divisions. I've been saying this for seven years. Nobody wants to fucking listen. How do you fix the tag team division? How do you fix the tag team dilemma in WWE? Merge the fucking divisions. Make one set of tag team titles. Saying this since 2016. And they haven't shown you one fucking iota of any of that 
to fix the tag team division. But what the fuck do I know? What do I know? McIntyre versus Reigns is the other big match that WWE is seemingly planning for the Royal Rumble. Another thing worth noting is that WWE is pushing that McIntyre did not get an opportunity to challenge for the Universal Championship because he was not included in the Black Friday Battle Royal a couple of weeks ago. Now, since Reigns and Lesnar is scheduled to take place at day one, and it is rumored to be taking place at WrestleMania in the main event, more than likely on night two in Dallas, that would indicate that McIntyre and Reigns is probably happening at the Royal Rumble. So what this means is that Roman Reigns will be walking out of day one, still the universal champion. Now, I'm glad that's the case, number one. I'm glad that Roman Reigns is going to walk out of day one as the universal champion by defeating Brock Lesnar. I I do not think it is best for business to give Brock Lesnar the universal championship. Roman Reigns isn't really doing much better business himself anyway on Friday nights. I mean, Roman Reigns is it, and then after that, the show falls off a fucking cliff. But as far as Reigns and Lesnar, I was very, very sure WWE was going to have Lesnar take down Reigns and have Lesnar be the one to beat Reigns. I I really was feeling that at some point. But I I think I'm pretty confident when I say that I I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. First of all, that would be terrible. Nobody wants to see Brock Lesnar as the Universal Champion again. If you do, you're a complete fucking idiot. You're a complete moron. It doesn't make sense. Logistically, it doesn't make sense. Okay, there's nobody that I want to see in the ring with Brock Lesnar while he defends the Universal Championship. I know Roman Reigns and his reign has problems, but that doesn't mean, yeah, let's put the title back on a fucking part-timer who's going to go away till SummerSlam. That's not what's best for business. I'm sorry. Brock Lesnar does not need world championships anymore. Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre. I like the match. I publicly stated myself that I'd love to see them tangle it up again. Their match at Survivor Series last year was fucking incredible. And that was in the Thunderdome. There were no fans in attendance. They had an absolute match of the year candidate. But I don't think Drew McIntyre is the guy to take down Roman Reigns either. But at this point, Like I said, with Roman Reigns and his Universal Championship run, it's not exactly the way I had envisioned it. In fact, it's quite disappointing. In the early stages of his run, I was actually thinking to myself, man, this is going to be fucking great. Look at how Roman Reigns has transformed himself into this unbelievable storyteller. And he was a good wrestler before. I mean, he he wasn't out of this world the best wrestler ever, but he was he was serviceable was Roman Reigns. The storytelling that he started to really embody himself in as a heel, it really took a step upwards. And when he got into the feud with Jey Uso, and he got into the feud with Owens, and he got into the feud with Cesaro, I'm like, all right, this this is the type of stuff I want to see. People who don't normally get opportunities are now getting opportunities, and they're looking better off for it while being in the ring with Roman Reigns. He was wearing that golden glove. 
Everything that he touched turned to gold. And we were so incredibly high on everything Roman Reigns was doing. The storytelling was there. The emotion was there. It was just a completely different level from whatever else we saw from Roman Reigns. But the more this reign went on, it became less and less about building up everybody else. And this is where WWE is to blame. It became less and less about everybody else and more and more and more and more about Roman Reigns. And it's actually counterproductive in WWE's eyes. They, they don't realize it, but it's counterproductive because you can make Roman Reigns the greatest of all time. But what good is the greatest of all time if you have nobodies around him? How can Roman Reigns be the greatest of all time if you legitimately have done nothing with everybody else that he's beaten? Kevin Owens should be a perennial main event guy. After his feud with Roman, he should have been slotted right at the top of the card. Cesaro, the guy waited how many fucking years to get that opportunity? And what did they do with Cesaro after he lost to Roman Reigns? Nothing. Nothing. He's losing to Ridge Holland in three fucking minutes on SmackDown. The only ones that have benefited from it are Jimmy and Jey Uso. But I'm not surprised by that because they're fucking family. Everybody else that he's been in the ring with, they haven't done jack shit with anybody. And now they're struggling to find people to wrestle Roman. And if you look on SmackDown's roster, there is nobody but Lesnar and McIntyre. What, is he going to feud with both of these guys all fucking year? Because that's not going to get boring really fucking fast. WWE has dropped the ball on Roman Reigns' run. It started out as something that they could take with them and really kind of, and I don't, I hate comparing it because there's nothing comparable to the Undertaker streak. They had something that he was collecting. He was collecting all these wins and racking up these wins. And every single month he held on to that title, he was becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. This should have been a vehicle for WWE. So go out and find somebody to take down Roman Reigns and make into the next fucking Roman Reigns. Who does WWE have after Roman Reigns is gone? And we said this about John Cena. Who does WWE have after Roman Reigns is gone? They're still looking for their next John Cena. Roman Reigns is not their their John Cena. They never found their next John Cena. Roman Reigns is the biggest superstar in all of WWE. He's the biggest pro wrestler in the world. But that doesn't mean he's John Cena level. He's not. He's nowhere close to being John Cena level. What is WWE going to do when Roman Reigns is not there anymore? Who is the next Roman? It's not Brock. Brock is in his 40s. Drew McIntyre's not that guy. WWE dropped the fucking ball and have failed, as per usual, by building nobody. There's no future of the company. Instead of building somebody to wrestle Roman Reigns that could take everything that he's accomplished, beat him, beat him for the title, claim the fucking throne and the crown, and anoint them... The next Roman Reigns, 
WWE has opted to appoint nobody the next Roman Reigns and waste everything that Roman Reigns has done just to get Roman Reigns over so that they can call him the greatest of all time. For what? For what? I don't understand the logic here. You have something so special in the palm of your hand and you're just throwing it away like it means absolutely nothing to everybody. It's what fucking pisses me off. It's what pisses me off the most. Negligence on creating new stars. It is so fucking sad. It really is. I mentioned Walter. Now, Walter's 34 years old. Do I expect WWE to push Walter to beat Roman? No, of course I don't. Of course I don't. This is a fabricated fucking pipe dream that I've thought of. But it would work. You bring up Walter, you bring up Imperium, you got a feud ready-made with the bloodline. There you go. You want to bring some fucking interest back to SmackDown? There you fucking go, bro. You mean to tell me Imperium versus the Usos won't tear the house down? You mean to tell me Walter versus Roman Reigns won't fucking get your dick hard? I mean, it speaks for itself. Speaks for itself. No, but WWE's not in that business. WWE's not in that business. They want to make Roman the best of all time. And while he's the best of all time, the rest of their roster looks like fucking dog shit. I don't know how that's good business for WWE. I don't. But one thing we do know, if it's McIntyre versus Reigns at the Royal Rumble, then that means Reigns is walking out of day one as the Universal Champion, which means... The prediction that I had given you guys last Friday when we talked about SmackDown, I think whatever we saw with Paul Heyman, I think whatever we saw with Paul Heyman on Friday night, uh, I do think that it was all one big setup. The Superman punch by Roman to Paul Heyman, I I think it's all a big setup. It's leading Brock Lesnar into this false sense of security. Oh, look, Roman turned on Paul Heyman. Now I got him right where I want him. Meanwhile, Paul Heyman's going to be the end of Brock Lesnar. That's what I think is going to happen at day one. And then we'll end up getting a rematch at WrestleMania where I think we will be getting a triple threat match. I think it's going to be Lesnar, Reigns, and McIntyre in the main event of WrestleMania. Because what else is Drew McIntyre going to do at WrestleMania? Wrestle happy Corbin? Give me a break. Soon as he gets into the ring with Roman, that seals his WrestleMania main event. And Lesnar's going to get another rematch anyway because of the fuck finish at day one that's coming. So all three of those guys are going to be in the main event of WrestleMania on night two. Speaking of WrestleMania, WWE wants to bring back Stone Cold Steve Austin. They want to bring back Austin for WrestleMania. WrestleVotes reported this week that the company is interested in having the Hall of Famer a part of the event since the show is going to be held in Dallas, Texas, which obviously is the home of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Not in a wrestling role, but rather it will be a meaningful part. Now, WWE Creative will have to come up with some ideas. And WWE Creative coming up with ideas, it's like fucking pulling teeth. When you ask them to go to work, my God, man, bitching and moaning all over the place. They don't know what the fuck they got to do. Russell Vault says this, and I quote, Talked to a few different sources this weekend and heard the same thing. WWE 
He's very interested in having Steve Austin as a part of WrestleMania this year in Dallas. Not in a wrestling role, but a meaningful part of the event outside of just appearing. Up to creative at this point. End quote. Austin's most recent appearance on WWE television was back in March 16 of 2020. That was an episode of Monday Night Raw where he was there to do a segment in order to celebrate 316 Day. It was a comedy segment with Byron Saxton before Austin hit him with a stunner to close the show. WrestleMania 38 will be held over two nights, and one of those nights is likely to be headlined by a match with Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, and Drew McIntyre for the WWE Universal Championship. Now, Austin at WrestleMania, you know, I'm not surprised by this whatsoever. It is Stone Cold Steve Austin. It is Dallas. It is WrestleMania. It, it just makes sense. If they have him in a meaningful, meaningful role, I don't know what that means or what that entails. Um, it's not like he is not able to take a bump. But if they want him to stun somebody, I'm sure that he'll stun somebody. He's never going to wrestle again. But... As far as Austin is concerned, I don't give a shit what they have Austin doing. I don't give a shit how many times he's on the show. I don't give a shit who he works with. There's one thing that always is every time WrestleMania comes around. It's the time of the year where WWE gets the most lazy. WrestleMania is usually the worst creatively booked show of the entire year. And they sell WrestleMania on the fucking name alone. And they don't give a shit what goes on the card. Because you're going to watch or you're going to be in attendance because it's fucking WrestleMania. It's the biggest wrestling show of the entire year. It's the most important wrestling show of the entire year. And I hate WrestleMania for that aspect. I don't like to buy into the hype because that's exactly what they want you to do. Now, if WWE actually went about this in typical business fashion and actually put some fucking effort into the show, maybe I'd actually give a shit about WrestleMania. But the last fucking WrestleMania is, at least for the last decade, uh, the only WrestleMania that I thoroughly enjoyed was Brian's win at 30 and WrestleMania 31. That's it. Outside that, every WrestleMania that I've watched for the better part of uh, a decade has been absolutely fucking piss poor. Every single year, it's the same shit. They put little effort into it because it's WrestleMania. Look at what they did with Roman Reigns and John Cena this year. That's a WrestleMania match. They even hyped it up as such. A WrestleMania main event match. Roman Reigns and John Cena at SummerSlam in Allegiant Stadium this year. What did they do? They went into it giving you barely any effort. Why? Because it's Roman Reigns. It's John Cena. SummerSlam is sold out. You're going to watch it anyway because it's Roman Reigns and John Cena for the Universal Championship. We don't have to book a story between these two. People are going to watch it because it's Roman Reigns and John Cena. Meanwhile, the match sucked and the storyline The promo between the two people, promo between Roman Reigns and John Cena was a fucking thumbs down effort. 
In fact, I enjoyed John Cena and Roman Reigns and their promo battle back when they wrestled at No Mercy all those years ago. That was a better promo. And Roman Reigns was still suffering succotash, Roman. They dropped the ball big time on Roman and John Cena. That's exactly what they do with WrestleMania every fucking year. They don't do anything because the event just sells itself. I hate it. So I don't give a fuck what WWE does with Steve Austin. WrestleMania will end up, probably end up, being the worst show of the year. WWE. Also, AEW and other wrestling promotions reportedly have no interest in signing Alberto Del Retard. Alberto Del Rio. Good. Alberto Del Rio should never be on national television in a professional wrestling role ever again. There was once upon a time where I was a fan of Alberto Del Rio, and he came out with the fucking fancy cars and Ricardo Rodriguez, and he looked like a Mexican JBL. He looked great. As soon as they took all that shit away from him, he became an absolute nobody. And WWE, they treated him like everybody else, man. Ordinary. Then he goes on and calls Triple H a big-nosed motherfucker. He's cursing Stanford, Connecticut, and Titan Tower up in the air about all this shit. He's dating Paige. He abuses Paige. He beats the shit out of her and all this other shit. That he gets in trouble with. Guy's life just went down a, a complete fucking. It was legitimately a burning airplane hitting a building. That, that's what his career ended up being. This guy was absolutely the lowest of the low. Nobody wanted to hear or know about this guy, period. So I don't know why WWE or AEW would even contemplate bringing this guy in. And this guy has stated, oh, that I, I, was in, I was in discussions with WWE about making a return. No, he hasn't. Oh, I, if uh, Tony Khan wants to uh, discuss things, I'd be willing to uh, discuss things with Tony Khan. Sure you would. Sure you would. That doesn't mean Tony Khan is an idiot. That doesn't mean Tony Khan's going to be willing to give you the telephone line and be all ears about an Alberto Del Rio AEW run. Nobody wants that. It's the furthest thing from AEW's mission statement. Alberto Del Rio. So it was previous reporter in October that Del Rio was telling friends that he was going back to WWE when his legal situation cleared up as he was accused of assaulting his ex-girlfriend. Del Rio's public relations agent recently stated that those charges have been dropped against him. Of course they have. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful mentioned that he's been told by multiple promotions, WWE, MLW, Impact Wrestling, that they have no interest in bringing in the former WWE champion. This was in response to a person thinking Del Rio will end up in a top promotion next year. Sapp says, and I quote, I've spoken with people from WWE, MLW, and Impact who say they either have no interest in bringing Del Rio in or would be shocked if it happens. AW talent I've spoken to say that they've never heard him mentioned as even possibly coming in, end quote. Del Rio hasn't worked for a major promotion since 2018 
when he wrapped up a run in Impact Wrestling. Stick to Mexico, bro. Stick to whatever you do in your uh, little uh, Combate America or whatever fucking MMA promotion you're running down there. Nobody wants you here. Stay as far away from United States pro wrestling as humanly possible. I think everybody here will be better off for it. Nobody gives a shit about Alberto Del Rio. Several WWE talent and staff have reportedly tested positive for COVID-19 with the ongoing Omicron variant. COVID-19 and the Omicron variant have hit all sports leagues hard and positive cases around the United States are increasing. WWE is not immune to this as PW Insider reports that a number of talents and staff were feeling run down coming out of this past weekend and some have since tested positive for COVID-19. Others are feeling sick and waiting for their test results to come back. This Friday's episode of SmackDown was taped last week, so it won't be impacted, but WWE is slated to hold their post-Christmas show tour starting on Sunday. With wrestlers testing positive for the virus, it could impact on these upcoming shows. The report added that there are no plans to cancel any events in the United States, but it is unclear how widespread the issues currently are, and those who have tested positive will have to quarantine. Now, I don't know how, I don't know what the restrictions are as far as quarantining is concerned. I, I think that is, uh, uh, it's nothing like it was when we were at the beginning of the pandemic. But WWE house shows in Toronto, Ontario, and in Quebec and Canada next week are up in the air due to the province shutting things down due to the outbreak. With the Quebec show, it is still listed as taking place, but tickets are no longer available to be purchased. Stanford, Connecticut recently reinstated a indoor mask mandate, so employees at the WWE headquarters are required to wear masks while indoors. Um, WWE is in a good situation with this week because I I think Monday Night Raw is actually taped as well, if I'm not mistaken. Or it may not. I have no idea. Being that it's coming after the holiday, it, it might not be a tape show. I think they may be live. But as far as WWE roster on the SmackDown side of things, they don't have to worry about anything until the Christmas show. And if that's the case, it would have given WWE and the talent enough time to get tested, rest up, hopefully get over this thing. From from what I know, it's not anything that is all too serious, the Omicron variant. It's more of, uh, well, from what I read it's got minor flu symptoms. It's more like a, a, a bad cold, if anything. So if the SmackDown roster is testing and resting up, they should absolutely be ready for the holiday show in New York City. The only thing I would be concerned with is the restrictions in New York City. I don't know what the fuck is going on in this city. They're changing daily. So that's the only thing WWE is going to have to monitor. But as far as the roster, I think everybody else should be fine going into that holiday show. Uh, again, I don't know if Monday Night Raw is taped or not. Uh, I don't know why I was thinking it was taped, but it, it, it may end up being live. I, I have no idea. But as far as other precautions, scenarios, WWE has everything all on the table. There's even a possible thought of maybe going back into the Thunderdome if things get worse. I hope that's not the case, which I don't really give a shit where they are because It's almost as if they don't leave the Thunderdome most weeks anyway. Anyway, 
I mean, if you watch Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown, I mean, it's almost as if we're still in the Thunderdome era. All you hear is piped-in crowd noises. WWE is overly abusing the piped-in fake crowd noises. Booing, cheering. It's almost as if they don't know how to get a genuine reaction anymore, and they overcompensate because of the reaction that they're not getting. Doesn't matter if they're in the fucking Thunderdome or not. You watch Monday Night Raw, the first thing you heard on Monday night was piped in booze for Bobby Lashley. I'm sorry, are we back in the Thunderdome? Nobody wants to hear that shit. It just goes to show you how terrible WWE programming is. But on the Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer discussed the possibility of WWE returning to the Thunderdome. He says, and I quote, WWE can go back someplace in Florida. You can always do the Performance Center. The problem is that if you put Raw and SmackDown in front of 300 people again, those numbers will crater, end quote. Now, Ringside News had a well-placed WWE source reach out to them and said the company is prepared for an all-scenarios-playing-out situation. Noting that there are a lot of contingency plans currently being discussed, it was indicated that WWE are considering more options than just a return to the Thunderdome. WWE returned to touring in July with the episode of SmackDown before the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. I don't think WWE is going to shut things down. I, I, I don't think that we're going back to a Thunderdome. I honestly think everybody is freaking out over nothing. This is what happens when the news media creates mass hysteria and fear. You got the Omicron variant mixing with the fucking regular cold and the seasonal flu. I mean, everything is fucking COVID now. You got a runny nose. Up, oh, you got COVID. I think everybody needs to just take a step back, be safe, do what you got to do, and handle your fucking business. You're going to these shows, make sure you sanitize yourself. Make sure you wear your masks. I don't need to fucking tell you what to do. I got sick myself. I'm still sick. I got a cough. But that doesn't mean I am going to these shows and I'm going to fucking party. Just be careful. There's no reason to shut things down. Go out there and have a good time and be safe while doing it. People are going to get sick. Just don't be an asshole. WWE. Sami Zayn apparently signs a new WWE contract. Dave Meltz reported last week in the Wrestling Observer newsletter that Zayn had possibly resigned based on a locker room situation, but it is yet to be confirmed. With WWE having long-term plans for Sami Zayn, this could be a good indication that the rumors are true that he's also re-signed with the company. Despite his contract status, WWE has been regularly using Sami Zayn on television. He recently earned a title match against Universal Champion Roman Reigns. He's been doing segments with Brock Lesnar on SmackDown as of late. WWE also has a notable match lined up for him at day one which uh, I might as well talk about here because uh, you guys don't really give a shit about WWE here in the chat. And if I spoil anything, Sami Zayn is the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. Looks like he may be getting that shot at Shinsuke Nakamura at day one, which is great, which is great. And I find that to be oddly hilarious because this is the first big match between these two guys 
since TakeOver in Dallas. Now, will they be able to duplicate that match? Absolutely no fucking way. Not a shot in hell. But I find it funny how all these years later, we're getting that tremendous, historic NXT TakeOver match again on the main roster. Now, Sami Zayn, I love Sami Zayn. I'm happy for Sami Zayn. I wish WWE loved Sami Zayn as much as we, the fans, love Sami Zayn. I feel like WWE has shown Sammy love because they were forced to show Sammy love. Putting him in the ring with Roman, putting him in the ring with Brock, giving him TV time with the two biggest names in the entire company. Is that going to be a regular thing? I don't know. But I find it funny how WWE wants to give him the one championship that they absolutely have fucking killed beyond recognition. They want to give him the Intercontinental Championship as a thank you for re-signing with the company. I don't give a fuck what title you give him. If you're going to give him that championship, you better feature him on TV and make him a mainstay on TV and have him build that championship up back to where it needs to be. Don't, don't, don't start handing out championships to Sami Zayn like the IC title and then have him do the same thing with it that you gave Nakamura. I hope this means Sami Zayn is going to have a major role on television going into WrestleMania. Who he defends that championship against, I don't know. I don't know. There's not really much to pick from on Friday night. But WWE seemingly has done everything to make this guy happy, feel wanted, and it worked. And I'm sure having Kevin Owens sign his contract first, I'm sure that made Sami Zayn's life a lot easier in what he needed to do Next for his career as well, because they're real life best friends. So that obviously made his decision a lot easier as well. So we'll see what happens. I'm happy for Sami Zayn. You know, I know everybody wants Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn over to AEW. But, you know, with the amount of talent that is out there right now on the free agent market, why would you want Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to go to AEW? Those are two guys that if they go there, they need to make an immediate impact, a long-term impact. And I don't know if that would have been possible with everybody else that Tony Khan still potentially is about to bring in. And they probably realized that as well. You know, AEW from this point on until February, when most of these free agents are free from their 90 days, is going to look vastly different. When Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and their three-year new deals run out and they're looking for what to do next, AEW three years from now is going gonna, is gonna to look vastly different than it does now. Maybe they'll have a better chance of finding a spot in AEW three years from now instead of right now where it just seems overly crowded. They probably made the right career decisions for themselves. Especially Kevin Owens being that he's making two to three million dollars per year. How long that lasts before Vince realizes what he did, I don't know. What Sami Zayn is making, I have no idea. But if they can find roles for them regularly on TV and continue building them up, Zayn could be a great heel, a top of the line heel. Kevin Owens can do the same thing. On Monday Night Raw, I don't know. I don't know how anybody could do anything right on Monday Night Raw. 
But both guys have been great for so long. Hopefully WWE now, after all this time, starts to push them in the way that they deserve. Another major signing could be debuting on AEW television very soon. And we got Kyle O'Reilly last night on the Holiday Bash. And people people in the community already claiming that it's a rehash of the Undisputed Era and all this other shit. Go fucking suck my balls. Nobody gives a shit about your AEW whining and complaining, you fucking e-drone retard. Shut the fuck up. Seriously. You don't like it? Don't watch. Nobody's forcing you to watch Wednesday night. Stick to your fucking dumpster fire known as Monday Night Raw that apparently is the most perfect fucking show in pro wrestling. Kyle O'Reilly made his AEW debut last night. Now, I know it was against Orange Cassidy, but that has nothing to do with it. There's nothing to do with it. It's about the bigger story. And if you watched the fucking show last night, you would have watched what the story was. It was written all over Adam Cole's face. It was written all over, all over Matt Jackson's face. It was written all over Nick Jackson's face. That's the story. Cole is back with his boys. The young bucks are like, uh, bro, are, are we cool? The fuck is going on here? That's the story. But what Adam Cole doesn't know is that the Bucks got Kenny. When Kenny comes back, I don't know. And when Kenny comes back, we're getting the elite versus the undisputed era. And if you're not excited about that, I don't know what the fuck you're uh, doing watching AEW. I really don't. Adam Cole versus Kenny Omega. If you're not excited about that, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Red Dragon versus the Young Bucks. If you're not excited about that, man, go kick fucking rocks. I don't know what the fuck you're doing. That's the story. How long will it take before everything implodes and Adam Cole leaves the elite to join his buddies? That's the story. The fact that Kyle O'Reilly debuted against Orange Cassidy, nobody gives a shit. Adam Cole's face and Matt Jackson with Nick Jackson looking at Cole, that's the story. That's the only thing you should be fixated on. So, the other... Major, major debut that could be headed to AEW is Johnny Gargano. There is actual news on this. Dave Meltzer noted on the Wrestling Observer Radio that he strongly believes that Johnny Gargano will make his AEW debut in Cleveland. He says, and I quote, as more time goes on, I have this feeling that Gargano will debut in Cleveland. If that's the case, then it means he would debut on the January 22nd episode of AEW Dynamite because that is when they will be in Cleveland. I don't know 100% that he's going. If you watched him on Twitch, he talked about wanting to wrestle Kenny Omega and things like that. He also mentioned Brian Danielson, how we'd love to square up against Brian Danielson again. Just things he said both publicly and privately. I know he's heavily considering going. Put it that way. If you really think about what makes sense for him as well, the only real argument for Gargano staying is that 
He's got a kid coming and his wife works for WWE. And if you work for NXT and he's a good and he's got a good offer to stay in WWE and he could make good money and he's working one day a week and he's driving to the building. He lives five or 10 minutes away from the building. If that's what you want, great. But he didn't get to be a great wrestler. He didn't get to be Johnny Wrestling by taking the easy route. So Meltzer feels that Johnny Gargano is going to be in AEW on January 22nd. And if that's the case, I mean, take my fucking money. Sign me up. Seriously. In regards to why Gargano should go to AEW, Meltzer noted his Brian Danielson. Um, obviously, he, he wants to wrestle Brian Danielson. Not only did he mention Danielson, he mentioned Omega. But Meltzer also claimed that when Gargano sees Brian Danielson wrestling, and he sees Brian Danielson wrestling on, on Dynamite, he's got this huge smile when he's on AEW television because obviously Brian Danielson is legitimately having the time of his life. And Meltzer noted Gargano has talked about wrestling, you know, Brian and Omega on his Twitch stream. And it looks like he's heavily leaning towards going to AEW. I would say all tea leaves look in that direction. Is what Meltzer said finally about the uh, Gargano situation going to AEW. I, I said this when he opened up his Twitch stream. I mean, that was the only confirmation I needed about him not going back to WWE. You're not allowed to do that there. You're not allowed to do that on the main roster. You're not allowed to do that in NXT. That's it. So as soon as that happened, and as soon as that man opened up his pro wrestling tea store and had like seven new designs in the works already, right after he was released, that said to me, this guy is completely done with WWE, and he's been thinking about this shit for a very long time. So Johnny Gargano, whether he goes to AEW or not, I don't give a shit. He's going to be out there doing what he wants to do, and everybody's going to get a piece of Johnny Gargano. But if Johnny Gargano and AEW do have a connection, and he does end up with Tony Khan, Tony Khan is getting one of the best professional wrestlers on the face of the planet in Johnny Gargano. The dream matches that are going to be with Gargano there, I mean, I don't know who doesn't want that. That is some exciting shit. Gargano Brian, Gargano Omega, Gargano Cole again, Gargano Andrade, Gargano Black, Gargano Miro, Gargano Jungle Boy, Gargano MJF, Gargano Darby, Gargano Punk, Gargano Cody. I mean, it's a no-brainer. It is an absolute no-brainer. Johnny Gargano ends up in AEW, man. You will see one huge fucking smile on my face. Seriously. Can't wait. Tony Khan. He talked about WWE's interest in signing MJF. And he talked about Kevin Owens staying put with WWE. He recently did an interview with CBS Sports. And he talked about a wide variety of topics. WWE, Fox, and USA Network reported interest in MJF. This is what Tony Khan says about that. I think it's great. I encourage that. 
I think they should keep talking about him because he's a wrestler that's a big part of AEW and he's signed here for a few more years. So I think please keep giving us that buzz because he's getting great ratings for his segments. And those have been also featuring CM Punk pretty regularly as they continue to interact. They've had a war of words and now they'll be on opposite sides of this huge trios match, which we saw last night with Sting and Darby Allen as they teamed up with Punk against the Pinnacle. You know, WWE had some great wrestlers I really wanted to sign there, and I signed him. Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, Ruby Soho, and so on. So, Tony Khan apparently doesn't give a shit about what WWE, Fox, USA Network, and what they want with MJF. Tony Khan doesn't give a shit. He's living in the moment now. You want to talk about MJF? Okay, talk about MJF. There's a reason why MJF is one of the best things in pro wrestling. He's with AEW. We know how great he is. He's in a feud with CM Punk. We know how great they're going to be together. Great. That doesn't mean you're getting him. That doesn't mean MJF is leaving Tony Khan to go sign with WWE. I don't know why anybody would think MJF is leaving Tony Khan. If it's two years, three years, four years, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. MJF is not signing with the WWE. It's not. The only way, and I said this on the podcast last week, the only way MJF signs with WWE is if Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard are no longer there. There's no fucking way. There's no way. That man goes to WWE, all you're going to get is a second-rate miss. MJF that you see now will never be seen again. Tony Khan knows that. And MJF is going to use WWE as a vehicle to drive up his price, which is fine. At that, at that time, he'll probably end up being worth more than whatever Tony Khan's paying. But Tony Khan is going to pay for MJF because MJF is a lifelong AEW superstar. He is a foundation to build your entire company around, and you just don't let a foundation like that willingly walk into a rival promotion. And I think Tony Khan knows exactly what would happen to MJF. More importantly, I know that MJF, Tony Khan knows what MJF would become in WWE, and I I don't think that he would allow that to happen. Tony Khan loves professional wrestling so much that he would never allow MJF to go and ruin his career. And, and, and MJF knows that. MJF is not an idiot. Kevin Owens. He talked about Kevin Owens resigning with the WWE and if AEW was interested. I would have been interested in that. He's a great wrestler. I think he ended up signing for what I believe is probably a lot of money. I think that's great and good for him. We have a lot of people spotlighted here and he's great. Any company he goes to... He'll be a great wrestler for them. I've seen some people in the IWC saying that Tony Khan didn't have enough money to sign Kevin Owens. No, geek. Fucking idiots. Tony Khan knew that he was never going to be able to sign Kevin Owens at an affordable price to what makes sense for his bottom line. WWE overpaid for Kevin Owens to keep him away from AEW. Because that's the type of guy that if someone like that walks, that is a string of dynamite, no pun intended, that WWE doesn't want to go off. But that doesn't mean Tony Khan didn't have money to bring him in. It just didn't financially make sense. 
Why do we need Kevin Owens at two to three million dollars to come on in when you can sign two or three other free agents for that fucking price? And look at all the free agents that are out there. You don't think Tony Khan knows who's out there? He knows who's out there. And he knows Kevin Owens is going to be a free agent in three years. And AEW will still be around in three years for Kevin Owens to possibly explore. We don't need Kevin Owens in AEW at this very moment. Fan demand for Danhausen in AEW. I think Danhausen is hilarious. I don't think Danhausen is a very good professional wrestler, but I think he's funny. He was on the Jericho cruise interacting with a lot of the AEW wrestlers, and that was great. He's had an injury recently, so it's something to keep an eye on for sure, but he's got a big following, and he does sell some merch. He's a very nice guy. He's got a lot of things going on for him. I don't know if bringing in Dan Housen to AEW is a smart move for Tony Khan. I don't. And we'll see. I don't know. Maybe he just gets so incredibly over that uh, it is something Tony Khan cannot avoid. I don't think he's going to really make a difference in AEW at all or bring a difference or be a difference maker in AEW. I think it's one of those things where, you know, you look at him, he's cool. He's coming over from Ring of Honor. You know, he's a very popular indie guy. Everybody's going to associate, oh, he's got to go to AEW. No, he doesn't. There are other places for him to work. He may find he may find some, I would say, maybe find better success and at a rapid pace in an impact. Or an MLW. Who knows? But we'll see, man. I, I'm not really all that interested in seeing Dan Housen in AEW. Some of you might think differently. But we'll see. Tony Khan apparently uh, knows who he is, and I'm sure Tony Khan is hearing the rumblings of people wanting him in AEW. So we'll see what happens. The Kevin Owens situation, I, I talked about this on episode 401. There was something that I took from WrestlingNews.co. And I think they might have misquoted about Dave Meltzer saying that Kevin Owens had a no-cut clause in his contract. So I'm glad that this was raised as a red flag because there was news on the no-cut clauses, which makes me think about the entire Kevin Owens situation now a little differently than I did on Saturday. Vince McMahon reportedly is against giving WWE contracts a no-cut clause. WWE is not giving out no-cut clauses. And according to a report from Fightful Select, Vince McMahon has no interest in including no-cut clauses in superstar contracts. They say, and I quote, several WWE employees stated that the subject of no-cut clauses was discussed and that several people of influence within the company were open to them. However, talent were eventually informed that it wasn't negotiable or something WWE would be using in its current deals. The report adds, sources claim that McMahon is adamantly against the idea of putting no-cut clauses in contracts. The topic of potential no-cut clauses became a major point of discussion amongst wrestling fans when Kevin Owens recently signed 
with WWE despite AEW's admitted interest in bringing in Kevin Owens and the widespread expectation being that the often underutilized Owens would join his buddies, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole in AEW. Instead, Owens, shocking the wrestling world, inked the new deal with the WWE somewhere in the ballpark between 2 and $3 million per year for a three-year contract. Owens himself revealed that he resigned with the WWE and it was the best thing for his family. And in the weeks surrounding his resigning, he's been booked at the top of the card on Raw. That doesn't really mean much to me or say much to me at all. Kevin Owens is still booked like shit. Now, if he wins the WWE Championship, that, that could change things dramatically. I, I don't think that they're giving the WWE Championship to Kevin Owens. I don't. That has resulted in some optimism regarding Owens possibly being consistently pushed as a main eventer on Raw. But truth be told, WWE could still release Owens at any given moment. Especially now that there's no cut close. Now... The Wrestling Observer's Dave Meltzer recently noted that superstar contracts essentially on a 90-day deal can be terminated by the company at any given time, which is basically what the company did with both Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman earlier this year. Strowman was making $1.25 million. They let him go. Now, Kevin Owens is making 2 to $3 million per year. And I mentioned this on Saturday. Is Kevin Owens worth that type of money? I don't want to sit here and tell you no or yes. I mean, the guy's a hardworking motherfucker. The guy goes out there and risks his life every single night. The guy goes out there and gives you the best wrestling match he could possibly give you. Kevin Owens is a fantastic professional wrestler. But is Kevin Owens worth 2 to $3 million in WWE? That, I can, I can honestly say the answer is no. Because I don't think WWE believes Kevin Owens is a two to three million dollar professional wrestler. Are they going to use him as a two to three million dollar professional wrestler? No, they're not. So this situation, it really changes my mind on everything now that there's not a no cut clause. Kevin Owens, it seems like he's seen the dollar signs, took it, and he knows what to expect. He knows exactly how they operate. And if he can make whatever money he can while he's there with this significant contract, he's going to do it. And even if he gets fired, knowing what the company has done to everybody else in the past, it's worth it to him and his family because he would have been making that type of money. But I don't know why WWE would give out two to three million dollar contracts to Kevin Owens while they're releasing everybody under the fucking sun in order to cut budget. It doesn't make sense to me. It it just seems like it's fucking counterproductive. It makes WWE look insensitive and hypocritical. You just fired how many fucking people to save money? And now you're signing Kevin Owens to a $3 million fucking a year contract? How does that make sense? You fired Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman for the same fucking thing. And then here you are, giving money away like it's nothing to Kevin Owens. Why do they give that much money to Kevin Owens? Do they think Kevin Owens is some big deal fucking pro wrestler that they're going to push to the top of the card? He's going to be the next Roman Reigns? No. No, they gave him that money because they realized 
that if he went to AEW, it could be a lot worse for them if he went there and did not stay with the WWE. They gave him that money to keep him away from AEW. They did not give him that money because he's the next major WWE champion. He's not. I don't know why anybody would trust the company enough to sign that deal with no security backing your contract. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. When Kevin Owens and WWE are not on the same page anymore and Vince realizes how much money he's making... Who do you think Nick Khan is going to be looking at first when he's looking to release town? Why is this guy making $3 million a year? Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Everybody thought Braun Strowman was fucking uh, untouchable. Everybody thought Bray Wyatt was untouchable. Braun Strowman was untouchable because he's the type of guy that WWE typically drools over. Bray Wyatt was a money printing machine. For WWE. And he was let go being their number one merchandise seller and most popular act in the entire company. You don't think Kevin Owens is going to fucking suffer the same fate? Kevin Owens isn't selling nearly as much merchandise as Bray Wyatt. And he's not somebody that stands out like a Braun Strowman. I don't know. I, I, I It just it doesn't make sense to me. Good for him, though. Good for him. He's making money. He's killing it. He's supporting his family. Good for him. So all these big, these big rigs and uh, these fu- these big wigs, rather the- these fucking legends. All they complain about. I don't know why anybody would leave WWE. Make your money while you can, right? That's where the money is. Oh, whatever the fuck they usually say. It's usually coming from Booker T, that fucking half-witted idiot, right? Why would anybody leave all that money on the table? Kevin Owens didn't leave the fucking money on the table. I just thought I don't don't find how it makes sense. I don't. Good for him. Good for him. Now, the reality caused AEW President Tony Khan to take aim at WWE contracts. He told Busted Open Radio after a shocking mass release last month, he says anybody that signs a contract in WWE's these days is not signing a real contract, in my opinion. It's a temporary arrangement. People who come to wrestle with me, a lot of these people are frankly lifers, and they know that. Meltzer notes that Owens' deal, despite being for mega money, doesn't feature a no-cut clause. In essence, that means that Owens can be let go at a moment's notice, and he can virtually join everybody else when WWE seemingly gets bored with him. This, of course, is a matter of Vince McMahon wanting to protect himself from being locked into a long-term big money deal with a superstar who may not consistently move the needle in a way that, in McMahon's eyes, justifies such a massive contract. So Kevin Owens is not the type of guy that Vince McMahon wants to consistently push over the three years. Why are you giving him a fucking big money contract? He's never going to be able to justify a big money contract. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. Two to three million dollars for Kevin Owens? Meanwhile, look at how many fucking people they let go. They could have kept Cole, Black, Andrade, Strowman, and Wyatt for that fucking money. I don't understand it. 
It's also been a source of growing concern amongst pro wrestling fans who know that their favorite superstars could resign with WWE one week and then be gone the next. As, as was the case with all of Hit Row because they got called up from NXT. Everybody got excited. Everybody had big hopes for Hit Row coming out of NXT. And then within four weeks, they were all fired because Vince McMahon apparently does what Vince McMahon does. I don't know. Now, essentially, over the past year or two, WWE's made a habit of enacting mass releases despite record profits and it's proven by the releases of former WWE world champions like Wyatt and Strowman. Nobody is safe. The only ones that are safe are Randy Orton, AJ Styles, Roman Reigns. You guys know the usual suspects. Becky, Sasha, Charlotte, Bailey. Long-term guarantee contracts have been known to hamper professional sports teams in their quest for championship glory and through WWE you know, a lot of people, they don't say wrestling is a sport. It, it is absolutely a sport. You know, it might not be a sport like the NBA or, or baseball or whatever the fucking case may be, but it is absolutely an athletic sport. And McMahon knows that being locked into a massive deal with a star who underdelivers could be problematic for the company, especially if that becomes a trend and WWE's roster is riddled with superstars who aren't living up to expectations. So... WWE has one big fucking problem here. Kevin Owens is making two to three million dollars a year. They better act as if Kevin Owens is a two to three million dollar fucking investment. Other than that, I don't know, man. A lot of people are thinking the same way that I'm thinking. Good for Kevin Owens. We're happy for him. We want to see him on TV and thriving and in a major role. But knowing that this man doesn't have a no-cut clause, it is very difficult to not believe he's not going to end up the same way as everybody else. WWE will get bored, and he'll be the next fucking victim of Nick Khan. WWE 2K22 and their roster may include recently released WWE superstars. Now, this is quite interesting. An update on the WWE 2K22 roster has emerged discussing the likelihood of released WWE superstars being in the game. Over 80 in-ring performers have left WWE in 2021. Following reports earlier this year that WWE releases significantly affected plans for DLC, fans have speculated that the upcoming game's roster will be small compared to those previous WWE games. As per Brian Mazik of Forbes, he talks with sources and have indicated that WWE 2K22 and the roster will be larger than some fans are expecting. Forbes pointed out that if stars that were released by WWE were still under contract and on the initially submitted approved roster, when details were sent to 2K, they could theoretically end up in the game. Now, Forbes stated that an extremely broken relationship with WWE could result in these elements being overruled, citing CM Punk as an example of a star who will likely never be featured in a WWE game again. Noting that fans should expect the likes of Bray Wyatt, Johnny Gargano, Keith Lee, Forbes stated that after talking with those in the know, he's expecting a roster of 150 wrestlers in the final game, including alternate versions of certain stars. 
It was noted that it is unlikely that WWE would choose to feature WWE alum who are currently in AEW, such as Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. WWE is not going to feature AEW superstars in their game. It's not going to happen. I don't know why this report is claiming that released superstars are going to be in the game. Now, if some of these people don't end up going to AEW, I could see them being in the game. But an Adam Cole, a Brian Danielson, a Malachi Black, an Andrade, uh, any, any of those guys, they will not be in a WWE game as part of the active roster. They will be created to be in the game, and they will be fan creations. But Keith Lee... If Keith Lee doesn't end up in AEW and he's just out there on the indies, I could see Keith Lee being in the game. Bray Wyatt, if Bray Wyatt's not in AEW, I could see Bray Wyatt being in the game. But WWE, every superstar that they put in the game that's not on their active roster anymore, they have to pay royalties to. Does WWE want to pay all these fucking royalties for their game to be filled out completely like it usually is? I don't think WWE gives a fuck about the game because clearly if they did, then they wouldn't have released everybody throwing 2K's work in the fucking trash. Everything WWE 2K has done to get this game ready, they have been impacted by WWE's releases. Every time they get ahead, they get one step ahead, they got to take six steps back because WWE and Nick Khan want to fucking save some money. WWE 2K is in shambles. It is. I don't give a shit what is in the game, what modes are coming back, what it looks like, how you're changing up the gameplay. I don't give a fuck what you do to the game. You know what wrestling game I'll be playing? AEW's wrestling game. You want to know why? Because I'm sick and tired of the same old fucking developers and 2K. I'm, I'm sick and tired of the same studio putting so little effort into the game and having it be the same fucking thing every single year. And AEW right now, who's got the better roster, WWE or AEW? I think AEW's roster is probably the best roster in all professional wrestling, so that's where everybody will be going. WWE's not going to be paying people to be on their video game when they're no longer with the company. This is a fucking company that loves to save money. They're going to willingly be paying money to people that they don't have to pay anymore? Come on. The roster may be as weak as it's ever been, and if you want to fill out 150 wrestlers in the final game, most of them are going to be legends. Your Macho Mans, your Rick Rudes, your uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcakes, whoever else you want to fucking put in there, whatever. I don't think the game is going to be a success at all. At all. And WWE can be blamed for that. Monday Night Raw, the ratings. One of the worst ratings of all time. I laughed when I read this rating. This rating came in at a 1.553 million viewership on Monday night. That was down. From the 1.573 the show did last week. The 18 to 49 demo saw the average rating of a 0.38. That is down from a 0.39 the show did 
only one week ago. Raw ranked number seven in the cable top 150 shows for the night, which is down from number six. The NFL game on Monday did over 15 million viewers on ESPN and ABC. This is the lowest viewership the show has done since November 8th. That did 1.549 million viewers. You know what WWE announced on Monday for Raw? They announced Mike Mizanin and Maurice exchanging their vows or renewing their vows, their wedding vows, on Monday Night Raw. I I am so glad I, I won't be here. I am genuinely fucking thrilled. I will not have to sit here and review this shit on Monday. And then they want to know why the ratings are the worst of all time. That's all they continue to do. They continue to, to break their own ratings of worst of all time. How does anybody find this to be remotely interesting? Oh, but, 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 but Beth Phoenix is going to join the storyline. I don't give a fuck. Who Beth Phoenix is joining? Mike Mizanin and Edge is a trash program. Nobody asked for it. I know nobody in my fucking chat asked for it. I know I didn't ask for it. I don't fucking care to see it. It's going to be one of the worst matches on day one. That's the best you got for Adam Copeland? I don't give a fuck if he's teaming with his wife or not. That's what you think of Beth Phoenix? Now, instead of bringing Beth Phoenix back and putting her in the ring with a Sasha Banks or a Bailey or an Oscar or somebody that you can have, I don't know, a good wrestling match with. Now, let's put her in the ring with fucking Maurice. Maurice is shit. And so is this feud. That's what they got on Monday Night Raw. On top of that, I mean, the writing on this show is absolutely as bad as it's ever been. Uh, their baby faces are terrible. Bobby Lashley destroyed Big E, Seth Rollins, and Kevin Owens to get into the day one WWE title match. Everybody looked like a fucking schmuck. You know, I'm supposed to sit here and find interest in, in Big E retaining his WWE championship. Finn Balor versus Austin Theory. You got Balor losing one week, getting his win back. The next champions don't, lo- don't look strong. Damian Priest losing... Right, Damian Priest hulking up like a fucking idiot on Monday night. I mean, then you want to know why we're looking at a 1.553 million viewership on Monday night. Yeah, good luck with that. Instead of actually being a cool wrestling show like you fucking were back in the 90s, WWE wants to write fucking... uh, Wedding vows between Miz and Maurice on Monday night. Yeah, I'm sure that rating is going to be just great on Monday night. NXT. AJ Styles joined the fray on Tuesday night. The ratings didn't surpass 600,000. 591,000 live viewers. It's actually up from the previous week of 561,000 live viewers. But the show did the worst demo in the 18 to 49, I think, it's ever done. It's amazing. 0.11 in the 18 to 49. You know what the 50 plus demo was? 0.34. 
I, I know. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. They got Mandy Rose fucking coming out with her tits hanging out everywhere. And fucking 50-year-old grandpa is watching NXT and the 18-year-old kid who should be watching Mandy Rose and her tits falling out everywhere. That's who should be watching the show is not. I don't know. I don't know. It's like it's like an unsolved mystery on Tuesday night. You know when NXT was great in the 18 to 49 demographic? You know when it was doing right in the 18 to 49 demographic? When Triple H was in charge. Back in the day. Back in the day. As soon as they went to the USA Network, man, that's all you saw. 50 plus. 50 plus. It was cool. It was hip. It was edgy. It was fresh. Right? Now we got fucking uh, Grandpa Geezer over here in his fucking rocking chair drinking his prune juice. Hey, Martha, look. You used to look like Mandy Rose back in 1934. You fucking kidding me? Jesus Christ. Just get the fucking show off USA Network and bring it back to the network, please. What a joke. What a joke. NXT. It looks and feels best with a fucking glass of prune juice on Tuesday night. Awful. AEW Dynamite. The show drew 1.020 million viewers. This is up from the 948,000 viewers the show did just one week ago, which was the Winter is Coming episode. In the 18 to 49 demographic, the show did a 0.37 rating. That's up from a 0.31. Oh, my God. They were neck and neck with Monday Night Raw in the 18 to 49 demographic. Uh Uh-oh, Bruce. Uh Uh-oh, Bruce. What are you going to do on Monday? Oh, that's right. You got Mike Mizanin and Maurice renewing their fucking wedding vows. Now, sure, that'll be dynamite. Fucking idiot. Dynamite's normal time slot has been Wednesday at 8 p.m. It's been preempted, you know, a lot this year. A lot of people are looking at Dynamite as, oh, they're failing. <laughs> you got these fucking snickering fucking ghouls on social media wanting uh, AEW to fail, you know, for whatever fucking reason. I never seen so many fucking helpless ghouls, jobless fucking geeks. You know, these are the fucking same people that work uh, Burger King, flipping uh, hamburgers and fucking pouring diet diet Coke. These people have absolutely no value to human society whatsoever. And these are the people. AEW's <laughs> failing. <laughs> You know, I see them snickering in their little fucking caves. It's fucking sad, to be quite honest with you. You know, how many people out there realize that, and if you pay attention to the fucking people that talk about this shit, you'd realize AEW hasn't accumulated a million viewership for a a couple, several weeks. And it's not their fault. 
It's not because the show is bad. It's not because they're not doing things right. It's not because they're not pushing certain talent. AEW on the West Coast, when Wednesday night Dynamite airs for me, it's at 8 p.m. on the East Coast. When it airs on the West Coast, it airs at 5 p.m. Now, I don't know where you guys work or what you do. Some of these fucking people don't have any jobs. Their only job is to jerk off into their fucking box of tissues looking at their Mandy Rose fucking half-naked pictures on NXT Tuesday night. But when it airs at 5 p.m., most people are at work. And it's been preempted in the West Coast market because of the NHL. It doesn't air in primetime on Wednesday night. But when they move to TBS, that's not going to be a problem. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a adjustment period. You know, people are fucking just naturally stupid. They won't initially realize, oh, 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 Dynamite, I thought it was on TNT this week. Meanwhile, they've mentioned it God knows how many fucking times. So you're going to get those fucking scragglers in there that don't realize that they moved to TBS on January 5th thinking that they're still on TNT. So it's going to take a couple of adjustment weeks. But being that they're moving to TBS, this is going to be less likely of an issue, and they should be building their audience normally now on TBS. But this made the e-drones today, this made the fucking shills out there, the apologists, just pop a blood vessel. Oh, I don't believe AEW did a million. And then they come up with some fucking lame excuse. Oh, but there's no competition on Wednesday night. Oh, there wasn't football. Oh, there wasn't NHL. Oh, there wasn't NBA. Oh, whatever the fuck these people come up with as far as excuses go. Oh, my God, we got a great pro wrestling show. The rating and the show go hand in hand. Go figure. Monday Night Raw is shit. Look at the rating. It goes hand in hand. There's nothing to figure out here, folks. There's nothing to figure out here. Tony Khan did a great job on Wednesday night. They had a great show. And CM Punk, Brian Danielson, MJF, Sting, and everybody else aided in AEW getting a million viewers. And it was a good show. And it's going to continue being a good show because he's got big shit coming up. And it's, and it's, it's exciting. It's going to be exciting. Good for them. SmackDown. This past Friday's episode drew a 2.303 million viewership on Fox. That's up from the 2.142 million the show did one week ago. In the 18 to 49 demographic, the show only did a 0.52. It's actually up from the 0.50 the show did a week ago. Last week, the show did the lowest key demo rating since... They returned to touring in July. So I guess Roman Reigns is a needle mover, huh? I guess the return of Roman Reigns helped. Or was it Brock Lesnar? I don't know. I don't know. I guess we can uh, keep a close eye on that when, uh, when Roman Reigns is not on the show. We'll see what the ratings look like when Roman is not there. But, I mean, th- this, is a fal- this is a falsified rating, if you ask me. All that was on that show was Roman Reigns and Lesnar and Heyman, and that was it. That show was awful. Up and down, that show was awful. So, I mean, I don't know who's watching the show. I don't. 
Outside of Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and whatever's going on with the Universal Championship, there is absolutely nothing about that show that is remotely entertaining. AEW Rampage, they were up again in the demo. Rampage drew 571,000 live viewers. 0.23 rating in the 18 to 49 demo. That's in the 10 p.m. time slot. Last week, the show did 503,000 viewers with a 0.18 rating. So Rampage up big time this week. This was the highest key demo rating since the October 29th episode and the highest viewership the show's done since November 5th. And Rampage ranked number seven in the top 150 shows on cable for the night. That's up from number 13. So good for them. Rampage and Dynamite had very good weeks this week. Sam Punk's backstage reaction to MJF's shoot promos, locker room news on Brian Danielson, Cody Rhodes, Young Bucks, and Darby Allen. This is an exclusive from Wade Keller of the PW Torch. Keller says this, and I quote, it seems like Punk has been really cool with everything that's going on with MJF, like showing no signs that MJF went too far. And that MJF and Punk seem to get along well behind the scenes when people see them together planning their segments. So it doesn't seem like there's any tension at all. Keller also discussed Punk having his own locker room, but being very approachable backstage. Keller said Punk is isolating himself in AEW in a sense that he has his own locker room. Cody has his own locker room. The Bucks have their own locker room. Keller also gave backstage tidbits on Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and others. He says this, and I quote, But Cody and the Bucks don't change with everybody else. Brian Danielson, by the way, changes with everybody else in the locker room. He doesn't have his own locker room. Punk goes and gets his own locker room. Now, for whatever it's worth, so does Darby. Darby has his own locker room. Some people just want to be with themselves, and other people are more social. And Punk has long established that. However, unlike Cody, Punk is interacting more with the wrestlers. I've heard of multiple occasions of wrestlers saying that they've come up to Punk with a question and he's been super receptive. Like, I got all the time in the world for your or or for you type of approach. Not, oh, I'm busy with my own stuff. The body language with Punk for people who have approached him is super cool. In fact, one younger wrestler on the roster told me, yeah, he's been super chill and receptive since he's got here. He's a good dude. So all reviews on Punk are good, and all indications are he's totally fine with MJF coming at him hard. He's at a secure place in his life, and he's not sweating it, even if MJF scores a few points more than Punk, or if Punk is saying, hey, Punk, that's the best you can do, you know, after ripping on just local hockey teams over and over again, MJF's gloves are off. He's not holding anything back. Punk socially likes to have his own space, as does Darby, and Darby is not a big shot. Punk and Cody and the Bucks also change on their own. That doesn't define if you're one of the boys, but I will say Brian Danielson, one of the boys, he's just in there and wants to be around them. But Punk is available and receptive, and by all indications, like I said, Punk is just getting really good reviews for how he comes across. Keller continued, I think MJF said in a promo, nobody wanted you here once. Um, That's not the case, as best I can tell. 
That's not to say that I by any means talk to everybody. Keller also added that perhaps there could be some people who feel like their main event push got delayed because of Punk coming in, but the feeling is that it's not personal and that Punk has a chance to raise the water level for AEW's exposure and that would help make the promotion more successful to create more big money contracts for when it comes time to negotiate. So th- there was a lot there was a lot there as far as CM Punk isolating himself. I, I mean I-, I I think what we've seen from CM Punk, you know, if-, if the guy wants to have his own locker room and sit with his own thoughts and get ready away from everybody else, that's that's fine. Some people don't want to be bothered day of the big show. You know, but as far as CM Punk and him being very receptive to everybody, I, I think you 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 see that that body language when it comes out there. You, you heard him speak when he first made his way back into AEW. He is here not only for himself, but he's here to make a difference and create this locker room. And have this locker room be unlike what he had in WWE. And it's going to start with him. He knows that. I I never expected CM Punk to come to AEW and be all about CM Punk. So I don't know why anybody would think that it's going to end up being that way. Somebody who wants to be isolated away from everybody else doesn't mean that he's rogue or he's in business or going into business for himself. Some people don't want to be bothered day of. Some people want to sit with their own thoughts. That's how they thrive. And that's how they get themselves mentally prepared. And I love the fact that MJF and CM Punk are working together and that CM Punk, you know, has this mentality of go out there and do what you got to do. All gloves are off. Punk should be confident in where he is in his life. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got a beautiful life. He knows what his value is to the company. He knows how appreciative Tony Khan is. Of him and his services. He knows how fucking valued he is by the fans. Man has absolutely nothing to be concerned about. He's living his best life. He's making great money. And he's doing the thing that he's always loved to do. And he's making a difference for everybody around him. And if MJF can get a few cheap shots in on CM Punk. And CM Punk is okay with it. Because of how confident he is in the brand. In MJF, that says a lot about CM Punk as a person. That's as selfless as anybody could be. If you're allowing MJF, the most visceral fucking motherfucker out there on the microphone, to go at you and say whatever he wants to you, that's a selfless human being. Not anybody's going to allow that to happen. All bets are off. All the gloves are off. Great. Sam Punk knows what it means to make money. You can't make money with MJF if you're not going to allow MJF to be MJF. He knows that. Brian Danielson, you know, the same same thing applies to Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson is such a loving individual from what we all know about him. Of course he changes with everybody, you know? I could see Cody not wanting to be, you know, uh, changing with everybody or Cody needing his own locker room. Of course, he's an EVP. The Bucks, they're EVPs. Of course, they're going to get their own locker room. They're management. Somewhat. 
So I'm not surprised by that whatsoever. So that was an interesting news report there by, by Wade Keller. Anthony Agogo. This was actually fucking stupid. This was actually a fucking stupid, stupid story for Anthony Agogo. There was backstage heat, or is there is backstage heat on Anthony Agogo after an online altercation with Jonathan Gresham and his wife, Jordan Grace. Anthony Agogo was rather outspoken on Twitter last week when he took a shot at Jonathan Gresham, Jordan Grace, Gresham's wife, joined in and defended Gresham. This resulted in some heat on Agogo within AEW. According to a report from Fightful Select, there is some heat on Agogo backstage in AEW. The comments he made were not looked on favorably. The fact that Gresham and Grace made it clear that this situation was not a work did not help matters for him. The general thought is that Agogo thought he was doing an angle with soon-to-be free agent Jonathan Gresham. That backfired when it was made clear that this was 100% real on Gresham and Grace's side. By the time that happened, the go-go was already too far into the situation to back out. Gresham is also well-respected throughout the pro wrestling world. That did not also help Anthony Agogo either. There were others that we spoke to at Fightful that said they prefer not to be clued in on social media works so they can create and give genuine reactions and responses. This is a situation that could be fixed, recovered, or forgotten about. Most expect the situation to be resolved eventually. And uh, that's the latest on a go-go, Gresham and Jordan Grace. Uh, I I don't know what was said. Um, Something along the lines of a go-go claiming to be a a more skilled professional wrestler or becoming, you know, a better skilled professional wrestler. He's making fun of Gresham's height, I believe. I don't know what what it entailed or what even what, what what even got started there between the two, but I mean Anthony Gogo is a fucking nobody. He should be talking down to nobody. Anthony Gogo is still training at the Nightmare Factory. Anthony Gogo is not yet a professional wrestler in AEW. He is a rookie. He had one match with Cody Rhodes, and then was actively taken off television. You know, there's something about being humble. Why would you go out there and pick a fight with somebody that you know is probably going to end up being in AEW before all is said and done? I don't get it. It only makes him look fucking stupid. Now, who do you think? Who do you think when Jonathan Gresham signs with AEW and he needs that squash match, who do you think they're going to call upon to have that squash match with Jonathan Gresham? It's going to be Anthony Gogo, and they're going to teach him a lesson. I don't understand why that needed to happen. It actually drove Jordan Grace off of social media, and she's usually very active. Social media claimed Sammy Guevara, Tay Conti, and Jordan Grace in the same week. But that situation with Conti and Guevara... That was due to uh, a bunch of no-life fucking idiots. This, a go-go, some scumbag rookie in AEW's Nightmare Factory thinks he could get the one-up on a world-acclaimed, accomplished professional wrestler. 
trying to make a name off of somebody's hard work. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Hopefully, Cody, Dustin, and everybody else there has uh, a long, long sit-down talk about being humble with Anthony Agogo. There's a reason why we call him Anthony Anogo. That name lives true even now. He's been off TV all this time. WWE Monday Night Raw superstar may be getting repackaged under a different name. As we've seen this week on Raw, Bianca Belair got a big win over Dodrop with her KOD. It was played up as if this was the end of the, the feud, and the announcers said that this was the final chapter for them. As noted last week, WWE filed for the Piper Niven name that she used when she was in NXT UK. Typically, when someone is getting moved to a new brand or getting repackaged, they will get booked to lose matches. Another sign that she may be getting repackaged is that she lost clean, which is kind of rare on WWE television these days. Dodrop has lost all her matches since October. At the house shows, she's lost singles matches to Queen Zelina and Belair in addition to six-woman tag team matches and triple threat matches. The Dodrop name was created specifically for a storyline with Eva Marie, but now as a heel with Marie no longer with the company, it may be time to revert her back to her Piper Niven name. I don't know what it means. I don't give a shit where Dodrop goes. I don't think a name change is going to really do much of anything. Still going to be Dodrop at the end of the fucking day. And it's still WWE creative at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter. If they change your name back to Piper Niven, who gives a shit? It's all in the creative. Doesn't matter what your fucking name is. She's not going anywhere. She's not really going anywhere in the women's division. I don't give a fuck what they call her. Piper Niven, Dodrop, Viper. I don't care. Book a better division, and I don't give a fuck what you call yourself. But everybody that's a fan of her wants to see her go back to the Piper Niven name. You may be getting your wish. You may be getting your wish, and we don't have to fucking sit here and call that ridiculous name Dodrop anymore. WWE has significant plans for Omos and AJ Styles. Storyline being rushed before WrestleMania season. WrestleVolts reported this week that WWE wanted any type of blow-off program to be done prior to WrestleMania season. Royal Rumble and WrestleMania shows. This week on Monday Night Raw, Styles was laid out by Omos, and it was presented as if Omos will become a top face on the brand. During the show, he was compared to Andre the Giant. Vince McMahon had big plans for Omos since he signed with the WWE. He's been very protected from doing much of anything, and he has not been made to look weak. There were plans for him to break away as a single star during the WWE draft, but those plans were delayed because the feeling at the time was that Omos was not quite ready. Expect to see Omos highlighted, because you know this is happening, in the Royal Rumble in a big way. There are no additional details right now on what the WrestleMania plans for Omos and Styles are. You know, this is where the community as a whole is a bunch of fucking blithering idiots. Because you got a bunch of people out there claiming that Omos is a future world champion. 
claiming that Omos should be somebody that WWE looks at to lead a brand going into the future. I don't know what the fuck these people are smoking or how they even got to owning a wrestling podcast or having a wrestling podcast, but you need to shut the fuck up and go find something else to do, man, because clearly podcasting in the pro wrestling scene is not your cup of coffee. Omos is never going to be good enough to be a world champion. If you think Omos in 2022 is the type of guy that should be a world champion in WWE while leading a brand, you clearly do not want to see Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or WWE in general get better. You are actively seeking to see the product fail. Omos is fucking garbage. He will be garbage. He will never be what you expect him to be. He's not even in the same fucking breath as Braun Strowman. Never mind Andre the Giant. Okay? You're making me wish that we got Braun Strowman back on WWE television with all this Omos hype. I don't understand how anybody thinks Omos is going to be this big deal on WWE television. The guy can barely fucking walk. He hasn't improved. Where has he improved? He hasn't improved in anything. He's got one move. He picks somebody up and then he drops him very lazily down to the fucking mat. That's his move. He's the great Kali 2.0. That's all he is. But this is what people, this is what people's fucking desires have deteriorated into on WWE television, wanting to see Omos. Remember when everybody made a big deal about Omos and Bobby Lashley uh, going head-to-head on one of those uh, Monday Night Raws not too long ago? Everybody made a big, oh, this is what we all came to see. No, I didn't come to see that. I don't give a fuck about that at all. Who wants that? I know I don't. Omos is shit. He will be shit. He will never be a world champion. And if he is, that's the death of whatever brand he's on. You know, when you're a world champion, now I may I may be the only one that thinks this way. I have no idea. When you are a world champion for a professional wrestling company, that means you are the best. At what you do. Will Omos ever be the best at what he does? Will Omos ever be the best amongst his peers at what he does? No. no. Come on. You guys, you, you guys gotta stop listening to these fucking apologists. Seriously. Stop listening to these fucking apologists thinking that they have the biggest influence in the community. Omos is shit. Never, never want to see him as a world champion ever. Give me a break. I don't know why. I don't know why anybody thinks this move to pair him or break him away. Rather, I don't know why anybody thinks this move to break him away from AJ is going to work out. You could still keep AJ and Omos together. You could have AJ go on a singles run. With Omar says his muscle. What are we going to get? 
What are we going to get? Omos going on a singles run while AJ is floundering in the mid card? You give me a fucking break with that shit. Sound like it, it actually looked like the Miz might have been enlisting or trying to tease that Omos may be his new muscle after that segment of Miz TV on Monday. I don't know. All right, this is a this is a disaster waiting to happen. This is a Vince McMahon move. This is a Vince McMahon call, no question. So we'll see what happens, man. Omos, I don't know what he's doing going into WrestleMania, but uh, you could keep that shit off my fucking show. I'll tell you that right now. Scarlet Bordeaux, listen to this fucking ridiculous story. Listen to this story. Scarlet Bordeaux says WWE wanted her to manage Damian Priest. That's that. That's so weird, Bruce. Because I remember Scarlett managing Karrion Cross, but you wanted her to manage Damian Priest. I, I I don't know, man. Do they look similar to you? Maybe you got confused between one and the other. I I have no idea. Scarlett, she was speaking with signed by superstars. I don't know what this is. If it's a if it's a podcast or an interview platform of sorts, she revealed that WWE wanted her to be the manager of Damian Priest due to it being unclear whether Karrion Cross would even work in WWE. She says, and I quote, I don't know if you know this, but the original plan was for me to manage Damian Priest because we weren't sure if Cross was going to be Working out on WWE television. How the fuck does that make any sense? How does that make any sense? You want to break up Scarlet and Cross, the act that was brought in together and perfected by Triple H to take the one thing that made Cross's act great, Scarlet, and put her with somebody else while actively killing Karrion Cross, while Damian Priest doesn't need a valet or a manager because he can speak for himself. So can Cross. But it was more the visual thing with Scarlet than it was being a mouthpiece. I, I, I don't understand how things operate in this company. I, I really don't. Legitimately one of the dumbest things I've heard all year. Yeah, let's kill one act and put her with somebody else while Cross suffers a thousand deaths. Damien Priest isn't doing too hot either. Right now. Holy shit, can this fucking company be any more fucking stupid? And the latest on Mustafa Ali. His WWE status. This is coming from Fightful Select. Ali had asked for a couple of weeks paternity leave. The report pointed out that, uh, you know, as of this time, Ali and his wife are welcoming their third child in, uh, actually they have already, in November. Fightful notes that Ali wasn't physically at the recent SmackDown tapings in his hometown of Chicago, and there wasn't anything planned for Ali for Friday's live show or the taping of the Christmas Eve episode. So Ali has reportedly not been on the road 
since before Survivor Series as he was sent home for paternity leave early. It was previously reported that there were plans to feature Ali on the November pay-per-view, but he requested for his leave to be extended. Ali, uh, yeah, listen, man, this guy could go anywhere and become a fucking superstar. Uh, WWE, they don't know what they have in Ali. He is one of the most undervalued and underutilized talents that I've seen in a very long time in that company. You give that guy something to do, he'll go out there and give you everything he's got. They don't, uh, they don't appreciate that. But congratulations to him and his wife. Hopefully, uh, after the new year, he comes back hungrier than ever. You know he will. And as per usual, WWE will underutilize and undervalue Ali just like it was 2021. That is all the news I got, guys. That is all the news I got. But we are going to hit the top 10 matches of 2021 in just a little bit. I want to check the chat. I want to see what's going on in the chat. We got 1,284 people live watching OTS on this rare, rare, rare Thursday night. I only see 735 likes, man. What's going on here? I mean, for that thumbnail alone, I should have at least 1,000. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up, man. If you guys are in the chat and have not hit the thumbs up, make sure you guys hit that thumbs up. Super chats are open. Get them on in. We'll hang out at the end of the show. You guys let me know what you think your top matches of the year are, what your favorite match of the year is, who's your number one pro wrestler of the entire year. Also, hit that join button. Become a member, a channel member right here on OTS and become a VIP right here on OTS. Always a great way to spend your time, man, in the VIP section right here on OTS. And also follow me on social media at JD from NY206. That is on Twitter and Instagram. It's the best way to keep up to date on everything that's happening with the podcast. That is Twitter and Instagram at JD from NY206. Tonight's show is sponsored by my great friends over at Manscaped. Manscaped.com. You guys know it's coming, man. You guys know it's coming. Manscaped, the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming. They're leaving 2021 with a new product. Clean yourself into the new year with their ultra-premium body wash. You guys are going to use code SCRIPT20 at checkout to save 20% off and get that free shipping as well. More than 4 million men worldwide already trust Manscaped, so why not join them in the new year? 2022 is on its way, and the last thing you want to be is that guy with pubes getting in your way of making this year the best one yet. I know 2021 was a uh, rough year for many people, and that's why Manscaped is making a splash and upping their grooming game. Their signature lawnmower 4.0 is here to take down every pube in its path. Manscaped's engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality 
and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting ceramic edge blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. And it's also waterproof. Make sure you guys also try Manscaped's Refined Cologne. It's the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, and it's a great compliment to your collection. Also, the new Ultra Premium Body Wash. It solves all three of your problems for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine, but in the shower. I shower every day, and I hope you guys do as well. Body wash is infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. With Manscaped, you'll be a brand new man and ready to kick all the gross hair and smells out of 2021. Use code SCRIPT20 at checkout. 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Once again, guys, that's manscaped.com. Use code SCRIPT20 and make it a happy new year to you and your balls. Number 10. My number 10 match of 2021. Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston. AW Rampage World Title Eliminator. This was actually, this was actually something that I was not expecting. I was not expecting Eddie Kingston to beat Lance Archer in the world title eliminator. I was fully expecting Lance Archer to beat Eddie Kingston and have it be Lance Archer versus Brian Danielson. But Lance Archer took that terrible moonsault bump off the top rope, got a slight neck injury. It's been out ever since. And I don't know if it was the planned matchup. I don't know if it was an audible called in the ring. But we got Eddie Kingston winning that match. And the match that followed with Brian Danielson, I'm glad Eddie Kingston won that match against Lance Archer, whether it was planned or not. Because we got one hell of a fucking match between these two guys, man. It is definitely one of those things that you don't really expect until you get it. You don't really expect how good it's going to be, but it was absolutely everything you wanted in a tournament match, what these two guys did. It's fucking phenomenal. And Eddie Kingston, man, you know, I don't think Eddie Kingston gets a lot of credit. Eddie Kingston gets a lot of credit for his verbal microphone ability, but I don't think Eddie Kingston gets a lot of credit for what he can do in the ring. You know, Eddie Kingston is one of those guys that, You look at him and he brings a sense of legitimacy to what he does because he's fucking physical, you know? He's great at what he does. He really is. AEW got lucky by bringing in Eddie Kingston. He was one of the things that I was very excited to see when he first made his debut. And when people initially said, oh, my God, Tony Khan's got to sign him. He was one of the few people that I was very happy to see Tony Khan sign very quickly. And I don't think Tony Khan has looked back on that decision at all. What a match that was. And it just goes to show you that Brian Danielson, how good he is. He could legitimately work with anybody. He could legitimately work with anybody. 
any style, anybody in that ring, Danielson doesn't give a shit. He's going to go out there and wrestle any style that you ask him to. That's how great he is. It's unbelievable. Brian Danielson, Eddie Kingston, number 10, world title eliminator match that happened on AEW Rampage in November right before full gear. Number nine, Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. Lights out match, St. Patrick's Day Slam on AEW Dynamite. I actually did not realize that this match happened this year. Jesse and I talked about this on, on last night's live stream. For some reason, I was thinking this match happened last year. But everybody in the live stream chat said, no, 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 guys, this was this, was this year. This was this year in 2021. I, I was surprised because it really feels like we haven't seen Britt and Thunder Rosa in the ring in a long time. So when I went back and I did some research, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this match did happen this year. Now, Britt Baker is one hell of a story, man. You know, I remember when Britt got signed and she was the first female signed to AEW. Obviously, you got your Brandy Rhodes and your Penelope Fords. Britt Baker was there. We all knew Britt Baker. She had a role at the All In show in that Fatal Four Way with uh, Tessa and Chelsea Green. But not really much was known about Britt. You know, she was going to be looked at as the face of the division. And we saw Britt get on television and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm always, I'm always honest with you. And Britt would probably tell you the same thing. She wasn't really all that good. She wasn't all that good at all. But the one thing that I love about watching professional wrestling is watching somebody who's got potential and watching them grow into the superstar we know that they could be. Now, Britt Baker may be the AEW Women's Champion. I don't think she's an amazing professional wrestler. But she has transformed herself into a leader in not only that AEW Women's Locker Room, but a leader in women's wrestling. She is the perfect, she is the perfect example of what everybody should strive to be. If you want to get into professional wrestling. Her verbal ability has. By leaps and bounds. Gotten so much better. In. A single year. She is so good. She is definitely a much better talker than she is an in-ring performer. And sometimes that's sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that's fine. But. As far as the work ethic that she's put in from day one to where we see her now, man, it is very difficult to not take Britt Baker and really just be high on her. She's everything you want a women's professional wrestler to be. And good for her. She's worked her ass off and it shows. And you see her getting better. It's not like you don't notice it. Thunder Rosa, I mean, I could sit here and talk about Thunder Rosa for just as long as I talked about Britt Baker, but but I don't want to bore you because everybody knows how Britt Baker 
you know, and 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 how good she is. Thunder Rosa, everybody knows how good she is. We're gonna sit and talk about Thunder Rosa for when everybody knows how good Thunder Rosa is. You know, she's the hardest working woman, one of the hardest working women in all of professional wrestling. She runs Mission Pro Wrestling. She's actively training future women in this industry. She's giving other women around the world a platform to come and wrestle for her, to make a name for themselves. She's overseeing everything while trying to make sure that she is where she needs to be as far as her career is concerned. She is all over the place. And I don't think the woman would have it any other way, to be honest with you. But as far as this match, I I, I did not expect them to go to the lengths that they did. I did not. I honestly was surprised when the match was over how good it was. It was legitimately, it might have been, it might have been the first women's main event on Dynamite in its history, if I'm not mistaken. And the beautiful thing about this is, is that Britt Baker was made from this match. Thunder Rosa was actively a part of creating the Britt Baker that we see right now. And that deserves a hell of a lot of credit as well. Because I don't think many people would have been able to bring that type of match out of Britt Baker. Thunder Rosa did, and she did it beautifully. The way we see Britt Baker now, a lot of that, you know, a lot of that obviously can be, you know, giving credit to Britt Baker because she went out there and she was balls to the wall. But, I mean, you got to have a great dancing partner to really elevate you. And Britt Baker had the perfect dancing partner in Thunder Rosa. The best thing about this entire situation is when this match happens and you know what's going to happen. It's going to happen at Revolution. That's my prediction. I've been predicting this for weeks. It's going to happen at Revolution. It's going to be in the main event of Revolution. And it better be in a fucking steel cage match. You're not having a lights out match. And then... The next match, a rematch for the world championship between these two is going to be a regular wrestling match. This shit better be inside a steel cage and this shit better be in the main event of AEW Revolution. And the fucked up thing is people will find a way to complain about it. But in the end, it speaks to how great AEW is with long-term booking. Long-term booking. This match happened in March of this year. It will happen again one year later next year in March. And then a new champion will be crowned. And the way of life, the circle of life, it was Britt Baker and now it's Thunder Rosa. This will be the biggest, most important match in AEW women's history. This will be looked at as the beginning of, of the new division of AEW. When Britt Baker loses that championship to Thunder Rosa, this will be a changing of the guard. When that title goes to Thunder Rosa, the division will be better off for it. Britt has done everything she's she could for that title, with that title for that division. Thunder Rosa is going to take it to the next level. That I'm pretty confident in. But this was the catalyst for what we see now. And this next match is going to be the most important women's match in AEW history. Number eight. 
Walter versus Ilya Dragunov at TakeOver 36. I thought I was going to have this one higher on my list, but looking at the list of matches, it's at number eight. Um, TakeOver 36, kind of bittersweet because it's the last TakeOver that we will ever see. So the fact that this match and the type of match that it was took place at the last TakeOver, uh, it is uh, quite the swan song to say the least. WWE doesn't deserve wrestlers like Walter and Ilya Dragunov. They don't. The match that we got between these two guys, you'll 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 never see. You'll never see in NXT ever again. You'll never see on a WWE main roster show. I don't even know why WWE employs guys like Walter and Ilya Dragunov if we'll never be able to see the type of match that we got with these two guys on a main stage. In WWE, again, I don't get it. The match was so hard-hitting, it was almost uh, brutal to watch. But that's what you get when you get Ilya Dragunov in the ring and you get someone like Walter in there. I've said this many times. If you, if you came to me and told me that you thought Walter was the best pro wrestler in the world, I would not even, I would not question you at all. Yeah, you, you guys can easily... Pick out a Brian Danielson or an Adam Cole or Kenny Omega or a Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, a Will Ospreay. Now you, you can name anybody as being the number one pro wrestler in the world. It is a very subjective thing. But if you came to me and told me, you know, J.D., I think Walter's the best pro wrestler in the world. I wouldn't. I wouldn't look at you weird in any way. I'd be like, you know what? That's a great fucking choice. I can't really, I can't really argue your case for that. But Walter was on such a, a tremendous run. You know, he held that title, that UK title, all through the pandemic. You know, he held it for 700 plus days. And it just felt like it was time. It felt like it was time. And Dragunov, you know, I, I'm not very familiar with NXT UK. I don't watch NXT UK. I know how good Dragunov has been. But... If there was somebody that was going to match intensity with Walter, it was going to be Ilya Dragunov. I don't think there was another guy as perfect as him to take the title off of Walter. And they made it believable. They made it believable. The ending of that match was was incredible. The fact that it almost came off as if it was medieval times. And Dragunov, the fucking knight in shining armor, takes his... Big fucking sword and chops the head off the dragon. The lasting image of Dragunov holding that championship and putting his foot on the chest of Walter in in victory, that was that was a moment. It really was. That match was incredible. You're not gonna find a harder hitting match all year. So that's my number eight. Walter versus Dragunov. I take over 36. Number seven, Seth Rollins versus Edge, Hell in a Cell at Crown Jewel. You know, we could sit here and talk about Crown Jewel and the Saudi shows and how nobody supports them because of where they take place and the meaning behind them and WWE doing business with uh, the country of Saudi Arabia. But WWE 
They actually built Crown Jewel up as one of the better cards of the entire year. In fact, it was probably one of the better shows that WWE's put on all year. Edge and Seth Rollins. This was a feud that I wasn't initially excited for, but it's definitely something that transforms Seth Rollins into the performer that he is today with the character he has on TV right now. I honestly think this feud with Edge made Seth Rollins better at what he's doing right now. They really they really took it and they not only gave us great professional wrestling but they they, they did what they are not going to be able to accomplish with Edge and the Miz. They actually made it feel a little personal with Edge and Seth Rollins. And I I, I got to give WWE credit for that. And it's easy with them because they had a built-in storyline as well. You know, they had a built-in storyline with the whole cutting-edge segment and that whole thing back in the day with Edge and Seth Rollins. So it was easy for them to just pick up where they left off and just run with it for the several months that they did. And on top of that, Rollins is great at what he does. Edge has been doing some of the best work of his entire career in this run that he's in right now to a point where I, I, I hope he can, I hope he continues to do it. But this hell in a cell match, you know, in, in a day and age where WWE, they have so many hell in a cell matches. It is very difficult to have hell in a cell matches stand out and be different. These guys went in there, opened that show, and gave us probably one of the better Hell in a Cell matches that we've seen in several years. Am I surprised by that? No, I'm not. Because it's Edge and Seth Rollins. But at the end of the day, I can't overlook these two guys. I can't overlook that show, and I can't overlook the Hell in a Cell. You know, We've seen many Hell in a Cell matches this year alone. I mean, we've seen... Hell in a Cell matches on Monday Night Raw. We've seen Hell in a Cell matches on SmackDown simply because WWE did one on Fox and USA Network bitched and moaned that they wanted one too because Fox had one. That ultimately kills all desire to ever want to see another Hell in a Cell match ever again. Meanwhile, WWE, they used the structure right in this feud and they used it to blow off a feud. If WWE utilized the Hell in a Cell concept the way that they did in the Edge and Rollins feud, we wouldn't be here shitting on Hell in a Cell. Everything about this feud was great. The concept of the cell was used properly. And they gave you a Hell in a Cell match that you remember being so proud of back in the day. Nothing about this match, to me, was bad at all. No matter where it took place, no matter the overdone concept, you got to give credit where credit is due. Edge versus Seth Rollins, number seven, crown jewel, hell in a cell. Number six, MJF versus Darby Allen, AEW full gear. You know, you talk about the four pillars of AEW, two of them being MJF and Darby Allen. I did not expect them to go out to open the show and go nearly 30 minutes. Nothing was on the line. There was legitimately nothing on the line. 
This wasn't a title match. This opened full gear, and MJF bragged that he would beat Darby Allen with a fucking headlock takeover. That was it. These guys went out there and absolutely killed each other for 30 minutes, and that ended up being one of the best matches of the entire calendar year. You know, a lot of people look at MJF as, oh, he doesn't wrestle enough. Oh, he's, he's a better mouthpiece than he is uh, an in-ring performer. Darby Allen, people say, oh, he's too small. He's a vanilla midget. He's this and that. You know, AEW, they got the four pillars. These two guys are two of the four pillars. They call them the four pillars for a reason. This match obviously sold everybody on the fact that, yeah, yeah, AEW's future is very bright. MJF proved not only is he one of the best heels in the business, one of the best mouths in the business, he's one of the best wrestlers in the business. I think MJF shut up a lot of people at Full Gear. He did. I thought MJF was good. I didn't think he was that good. After this match, I put MJF at a different level. I do. I really put MJF at a different level. Darby, I, I know Darby's got this thing about him where a lot of people compare him to a Jeff Hardy or a young Jeff Hardy, and rightfully so. I think the Darby pairing with Sting has made Darby into a legit megastar. And what these two guys did was magic. That's not the only time we'll see these two in the ring. These two gave you guys a legitimate glimpse into the future of the company. When MJF wins that world championship, who do you think is going to be in line to challenge MJF for the world title? Who do you think potentially is set up to take that world championship off of MJF? Darby Allen. There's a reason why this match happened now. There's a reason why that match happened that full gear, and there's a reason why Tony Khan let those guys go out there for 30 minutes and completely tear the house down to a point where it was physically impossible for anything else on the show to even follow it in the first match. This was a subliminal message from Tony Khan to give everybody a glimpse into what the future of AEW is and what his future world championship program, it may be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, but it's going to happen. This is a glimpse into the future world championship program that we may be getting on AEW television between MJF and Darby Allen. They absolutely fucking killed it. If this match is not on everybody's top 10 list at the end of the year, they clearly did not watch enough professional wrestling. There's no reason why this match should not be on everybody's top 10. None. I was going to rank it higher, but I put it at number six. Roman Reigns versus Edge at Money in the Bank. That's actually the match that set up the Rollins situation and the feud with Rollins going into the remainder of the year for Edge. But this match was actually supposed to be the one-on-one match at WrestleMania minus Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan in WWE. I was not for Roman Reigns versus Edge at WrestleMania. I was not. I didn't think Edge challenging Roman was going to be a WrestleMania main event. I didn't think it was going to be a good close for WrestleMania. The Money in the Bank match uh, made me change my mind on that. 
I, I, I don't know why I wasn't, I don't know why I was uh, so against it one-on-one. I really, I, I, for some reason, I remember, I remember me being more for Edge challenging for the WWE Championship. That I think Edge w- would probably be suited best against Drew McIntyre for the WWE title. But that was just, you know, something that I, I, I didn't think WWE was going to do. I thought it would have made WrestleMania a better show if, if Edge versus McIntyre happened and then Brian versus Reigns happened and then you had, then you had Sasha versus Bianca. I thought it would have been a much better card from top to bottom. But we got this match at Money in the Bank and man, they they absolutely had a fucking classic. This was probably the best Roman Reigns match I think he's had as world champion. I do. And I thought they killed it. That money in the bank. So that comes in at number five. Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 37. That comes in at number four. I think uh, I think Brian made the match better. I think adding Brian into the main event was justified. I think Brian and Reigns mixing it up was the one thing that made it a better story. I did not really buy into the story of Edge and Reigns one-on-one, but Brian getting in there, I felt like it really took the the match to the next level. And in the end, they ended up giving us a fantastic WrestleMania main event that I could look back on and say, you know, you don't really sit there with the WrestleMania main event and get that really good feeling. I, I had a very good feeling at the end of that match. Because WrestleMania, typically, like I said before, is one of the worst book shows of the year. And a WrestleMania main event in WWE's uh, in WWE's mentality, yeah, it, it's, it's for the major world title in the company, but it never really lives up to being a real WrestleMania main event. This was the first real WrestleMania main event that we've gotten since the WrestleMania 31 main event between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Everything else since then has been a complete disaster. So I enjoyed the shit out of that match, and I think Brian being added to the match really made it a better match. It actually worked out best, in my opinion. Brian getting in the main event and then Edge getting his match at Money in the Bank. We got the best of both worlds. Number three, the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. Steel cage match at AEW All Out. I was there live. I was physically there live to see this. I I knew this was going to be a great match. I knew it was going to be a crazy match just seeing who was involved. But you guys had to physically be there to really feel the energy of the crowd. You know, I, I've never been amongst a crowd that wanted a title change so badly and that was hanging on to every move in hopes of a title change happening. And you just felt every single near fall in that match. You felt that if the title change didn't happen, that it was going to be a majorly disappointed feeling. So I'm glad that the actual outcome was what it was. Because there would have been 11,000 disappointed fucking people for the rest of that show. But that's still cage match, man. You know, we, we talk about tag team wrestling in AEW. We talk about tag team wrestling 
just in general and what their mission statement was when they when they first formed AEW. You look at that tag team division, man. That's the one thing that they are very proud of. You see it on every show. Their tag team division is their pride and joy. And matches like that, this is not the last time we're going to be seeing shit like this, man. You know? Steel cage matches are one thing. A steel cage match, tag team title match. I don't remember how many of those in my lifetime that I've seen, but I don't know if we'll ever get another one that that felt and, and looked like this one. Everything about this match was perfect. Everything. The Bucks had such a great run as tag team champions. And I remember back in the day watching AEW and how everybody was like, oh, the Young Bucks got to be the world champions right at the, the start of the show and the start of the division. No, it's not going to work that way. It doesn't work that way. Get somebody relatively unknown, have them run through the division for a little bit, and then have your Kennys and your Bucks and your bigger names win the championships later on down the line when everything's a little bit more established and then have those teams hold the championship for a much longer period. Then you can start building all the other younger teams up and figure out which one you want to build up to take down the evil the evil heels in the Young Bucks and take down Kenny Omega. Look at how look at how well it worked out for Paige when he beat Omega. Look at how well it worked out for the Lucha Brothers when they beat the Young Bucks. Everything was just perfect. Now, the Lucha Brothers really haven't done much with the title since they've won it from the Bucks, but I think that's going to change going into the new year. I do think that we're in a little lull period right now. I do think that uh, Tony Khan has plans for all of his champions. He's just waiting for things to ride out going into the new year. But the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks, I mean, they, I believe it was two years before that at All Out, they wrestled in a ladder match. And then they were in a steel cage match. So some people said the match didn't even make sense. Like, why is this match happening? Are the Lucha Brothers really deserving of a tag team title opportunity in this moment against the Young Bucks? I'm like, I don't give a shit. There's a history there. They wrestled two years ago in a fucking ladder match for the Triple A tag team titles. Now they're in a steel cage match at All Out for the AEW tag team championships. And it ended up being great. That dive by Phoenix off the top, man. I'm sitting there and I'm like, holy shit. Legitimately chills in that arena watching this shit. Everybody called it the best steel cage tag team match of all time. Was it better than the tag team match that the Bucks, Omega, and Paige had at Revolution? I don't know. I'm going to go out there and say no. Was it the best tag team match of all time in AEW? No. I think that one's reserved for the revolution match between Bucks, Omega, and Hangman. This is definitely a number two. So that comes in at my number three, Bucks, Lucha Brothers, Steel Cage match. I mean, you want tag team wrestling at its, fi- at its finest? There you go. Right there. Number two, Brian Danielson versus Adam Page. Legitimately a week ago, AEW winter is coming. 60-minute time limit draw. The reason why this is my number two is because how many times do you see a 60-minute draw 
on a pro wrestling show? Hardly ever. How many times do you see a wrestling promoter have the amount of faith in someone like Brian Danielson and Adam Page to go out there and give you 60 minutes on a two-hour show? You don't really see that all that often. There were so many complaints about the ending of this match that I think people got lost in the in the long-term booking vision of Tony Khan. It's quite sad, actually. The ending of this match upset so many people because everybody is so fucking just normalized and they're so brainwashed by WWE way of thinking and they're brainwashed by the WWE way of life. You do realize that 60 minutes, a draw, or a draw in general, doesn't have to be a 60-minute draw, a draw in general is actually a great tool to continue building momentum and consistency amongst your talent. So many times on Monday Night Raw, we see fuck finishes, countouts, DQs, 60-second matches, champions losing, challengers losing. It's sad. So when people see a 60-minute draw in a world championship match, they get their fucking underwear all in a bunch, and they start complaining to me, oh, it was lame. If WWE did it, you'd be shitting all over it. Well, first of all, WWE doesn't have a fucking time limit draw, number one. Number two, WWE isn't as smart as AEW as far as what they do creatively. Number three, I don't even think WWE has anybody on their fucking roster that could deliver the Brian Danielson, Adam Page 60-minute draw the way that they did. WWE would never even entertain the thought of 60 minutes on a one-hour show. Or a two-hour show, rather. A one-hour match on a two-hour show. The entire match not only brought importance to the creative aspect of AEW, it brought importance to Brian Danielson, it brought importance to Adam Page, it brought importance to the AEW world title. And more importantly, it fleshed out Tony Khan's vision for long-term booking. 60 minutes, a draw, and we're getting a rematch on January 5th. How many of you guys are more excited for this match now after that 60-minute draw? I know I am. I know everybody else is. Brian Danielson and Adam Page absolutely killed it. Brian looked like he was ready to go for another 60 minutes. And Adam Page, I knew how good Page was. Adam Page brought himself with this one match up several notches on everybody's top pro wrestling list for 2021. And there's not many people that he could be able to do that against, but he did it against Brian Danielson. So when people want to fucking complain about, oh my God, the draw, it sucks, it's this and that, it ruined the match. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. You had two of the best pro wrestlers in the world going 60 minutes. You want to fucking complain about three seconds? The one thing you want to complain about is how the match ended after 60 fucking minutes. Who are you and where the fuck are you a wrestling fan? Shut your mouth. There's a reason why the match went 60 minutes. You'll get it. You'll you'll know the reason why on January 5th. 
Number one, Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega at AEW Grand Slam is my number one match of the year. Why is this my number one match of the year? This was the most important match in AEW history. This match right here. This match significantly meant so much more to AEW than the performers that were in the ring. This was their first night in New York City. In Queens. At Arthur Ashe Stadium. New York City is notoriously known for being a WWE town. Here's this rival company coming in on their first night. 21,000 people. And the first thing that we see when we turn on TBS for this Grand Slam special is Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson. The fucking visual of people in that arena when the bell rang, the visual of Brian Danielson smiling and Kenny Omega, a champion, heel champion, holding back every fucking muscle in his face from smiling. You knew how special it was just based off of all of those reactions. There wasn't one fucking person sitting in that audience when that bell rung. They were as rabid as anything I've ever seen. The entire vibe of that opening match, from the way it started to when the 30 minutes sounded after the draw, everything about it was perfect. Perfect. This was the most important match in AEW history. That. Because of where they were and who was in the ring. Your world champion, Kenny Omega, at that point, battered and bruised from a long reign himself. And here comes Brian Danielson. He just main evented WrestleMania. He's in a fucking AEW main event in New York City in front of 21,000 people. I don't know how much important, you know, or how how important you guys think that is, but to me, it means everything. That match itself, and you know what? I, I said this on, I said this on Wednesday with Jesse. I actually had the Lucha Brothers Young Bucks number one, but I, I sat here today and I'm thinking, you know, it's it's not number one. I think Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega was the most important match in AEW history so far, just because of what it signified and where it took place at the time that it did. Seriously. That entire wave of Punk coming in and Brian coming in and then Punk having his match with Darby, Brian coming in and debuting it all out with Adam Cole and then immediately wanting Kenny Omega. Brian comes in and the first guy he goes after is the one guy he's wanted all these years, the best bout machine. Two of the best pro wrestlers on the planet. Brian wants to wrestle the best. That's why he's here. They do it in New York City. 21,000 people to open Dynamite. I mean, you can't script You can't script it more perfect than that. You can't. That's my number one match. That's my number one match this year. Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson at Grand Slam. And Brian Danielson's the number one pro wrestler of the entire year in my eyes. Everybody, you know, you could sit here and talk about your edge. 
your Rollins, your Reigns, your fucking Okadas, your, your, anybody that you want to throw out there at number one. But I don't think anybody's been more perfect than Brian Danielson. Nobody. This guy has been at the top of his game for many years, and he's in AEW now. He's had bangers in WWE. He's better now than I think I've ever seen him ever. And I honestly think that he's going to continue getting better. You put him in a role, you ask him to do a role, he will do it. He came in as a baby face, and he's playing his heel better than I could have ever imagined. He is so multi-talented in everything. He could wrestle any style. He's wrestled Eddie Kingston, who's a brawler. He's wrestled Kenny Omega, who's one of the most fucking greatest pro wrestlers on the planet. He's wrestled the who's who of style. Miro, he's wrestled. From top to bottom, he's wrestled every single style. And he's perfected everything in every situation he's been in. There's nobody better. Been nobody better this year. Brian is the, the number one guy to me at the end of the year. Let me know what you guys think about the top 10, man. That's my top 10. Sound off in the Super Chats. We're going to go over the Super Chats in uh, just a second. I want to thank you guys again for joining me on this Thursday evening off the script. Make sure you guys follow me on social media at JD from NY206. Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up, man. There's 874 likes on the live stream. Let's try for a thousand before we get out of here. And make sure you guys hit that subscribe button down below and turn on the bell for all notifications. Let's start at the top. We got a Canadian $20 super chat. From J.G. Sampson. Screwball peanut butter whiskey round for the entire venue. Dragonov Walter was superb. Best to you, Jesse, and all the OTS family. Stomp out the negativity because together our elite family is the best in all the IWC. Sampson, thank you, brother. Thank you, man. It means a lot to me. LJ from BK becomes a new member. What are you drinking, brother? Thank you for becoming a VIP. Otis becomes a member for two months. Thank you for the recommitment, Otis. I love you guys. OTS is not just a podcast. It's a family. Marcus Gunn with a recommitment for four months. Thank you, brother. JD, appreciate everything you do, man. I owe Biggie loses at day one. It's terrible how they did his booking. Sad, man. Just sad. Yeah, Biggie is uh, he's having a disappointing title reign for sure, man. You know, it's not even... I wouldn't even say it's mostly Biggie's fault. WWE just doesn't know how to book babyface. That's all it is. 
Spirit of the Wolf with a $5 super chat. E-Drones having a meltdown over AEW ratings. You love to see it. Yeah, fuck the E-Drones, man. Let them cry. Their tears hydrate me, man. They really do. Troy Turner with a $10 super chat. I just want to say thank you to you, JD, and the OTS family for keeping me sane this year. Keep speaking the truth in 2022, brother. Hashtag OTS for life. Truth will always be spoken here, Troy Turner. Always, man. You got nothing to worry about there. Spirit of the Wolf with a $5 super chat. I'm having a mad elf, bro. Merry Christmas. Cheers. It's nothing better during the holiday season, bro. Mad elf by Trogues. Says LJ, re-upped for seven months. You're the man, JD. So proud to be a member of the OTS family. Not just a podcast, but a family. OTS for life. Thank you, bro. I don't know why it says you were a new member, but here you've been for seven months. What's going on here? It's got to be a glitch on YouTube's end. Tyler B. With a $5 super chat. You are the man, JD. Merry Christmas to you and your family, bro. Merry Christmas, bro. Merry Christmas. Danny in Oak Park with a $2 super chat. He leaves nothing and no message. Bro, don't be shy around here, man. What the fuck's wrong with you? Put it in the tip jar, man. I don't even need it. Bartenders are working hard around here. Eric Newton with a five dollar super chat. My match of the year is Danielson versus Omega on Dynamite. My wrestler of the year is MJF. Listen, man, you want to say MJF wrestler of the year? I have no complaints in that whatsoever. Bradley Robinette with a one ninety nine super chat. Match of the year: Punk versus Darby. Merry Christmas, JD. It's a very good match, Bradley. But uh, match of the year? I, I don't think so. And Merry Christmas to you and your family as well, man. Costa with a $5 super chat. It's the Roman agenda all over again. They do it for Roman again. Yeah. Just in a different way. Rick O'Shea. Haven't seen Ricochet here in the chat. The next Roman is Riddle in Crocs. Matt Riddle could be uh, a big deal if WWE pushes him to be a big deal. I think uh, Riddle versus Orton is just set in stone at WrestleMania at this point. Michael Raymond with a $5 super chat. Will Cole turn on the Bucks? Or will Papa Buck return and push his sons to remember the monsters they are? Could Papa Buck and his boys take out Cole? I don't know, man. If there's one thing I uh, think we can all appreciate is that the Young Bucks know who they are very well and they know the story that they want to tell very well. And I think uh, we should have all the confidence in the world that it's going to end up being very good. Bradley Xavier with an Australian mate. $2 super chat. Would have to suggest Samoa Joe, but he's over 40. 
Samoa Joe is still with the WWE. Will he be fired? I don't know. I would not be surprised to see his name on the list when WWE eventually fires more people. Michael Raymond with a $2 Super Chat. Austin runs an always sunny style set of skits at WrestleMania. I don't give a shit what Austin does at WrestleMania. It's not going to make it any better. Jacob Donnelly with a $5 Super Chat. Kenny Omega is my wrestler of the year. Everything he did was must-see, including in other promotions. And the Don Callis pairing was pure gold. Yeah, Kenny Omega, Jacob, was very important to AEW. Uh, He was definitely the gateway to the Forbidden Door. And he will continue to be. But he was definitely uh, an important aspect of that as world champion. So I have I have no complaints about him being anybody's wrestler of the year at all. I just think Brian, you know, as far as what I see is as, as far as somebody perfecting his craft and just operating on such an immaculate level. Now Brian Danielson is is just ridiculous. Devil Watts 69, $5 super chat. Happy holidays, you miserable dude. Love your commentary and rants. Thank you, bro. Rick O'Shea with a 199 Super Chat. Midnight Express for his Viking Raiders at WrestleMania main event. No. No, we don't want that. Nobody wants that. Chase Wood with a 99.99 Super Chat. Small token of my appreciation for the stream tonight. All hail the IWC Messiah. Also, do you think we see Will Ospreay in AEW before double or nothing? Chase, thank you for the 100 in Super Chat. Uh, do I think we will see Will Ospreay in AEW before double or nothing? Probably not. But I do think we end up seeing Will Ospreay at some point next year in AEW. I think that's an inevitability. Reverend Davey Thompson with a $5 Super Chat live on a Thursday. J.D. Rock. Thank you, Davey. CPA with a $2 Super Chat. Merry Christmas to you and yours, J.D. Fuck WWE. Hashtag OTS for life. Call me Mr. J. Becomes a new member in the venue. What are you drinking, brother? Thank you for becoming a new member in the venue. The Pro Wrestling Podcast, then now, and you know it. Yes. Ricardo Linnell. JD. I've been out of commission, sick for a few days, so I haven't been active. But I'm getting better, and of course, listening to OTS Lifts My Spirits. Merry Christmas to you and to the goons in the chat with a 999 Super Chat. Thank you, Ricardo. Everybody seems to be under the weather, man. Hopefully you're recovering. Glad we can keep you uh, entertained while you are getting better, bro. Manic Destroyer. My boy Kotz recommitting for three months 
Bloody hell, you're talking wrestling again. Yes, bro, it's my job. It is unfortunately my income here on the tube. I do it better than anybody here, bro, so it is what it is. Appreciate you, man. Hollywood guy with a $10 super chat. Not sure how far back I can go as far as best matches. But my top three are perfect versus Hart, Ricky the Dragon versus Stav- Savage, and Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon in that great ladder match. Those are some good choices, bro. I don't know why you wouldn't include Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 in there, or Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole at TakeOver New York, but uh, I mean, how could you forget about those matches? Anthony Lucero. With a $2 super chat, Mary Hookmas, JD, and everybody else. Yes, Hook will be on Christmas Day wrestling Bear Bronson, bro. Everybody's excited for Hook's second match. Tyler B with a $5 super chat. I totally agree with Brian being the best this year since he's been so dominant. Do you think he loses clean to Paige? Yes, I do. I do think he loses clean to Adam Page. Brian suffering a loss to Page will not do anything negatively to impact Brian Danielson. Not going to happen. MGM Ballin with a 999 Super Chat. What's up, JD? Might not be in the venue tomorrow night. So I wanted to say Merry Christmas and thank you for the hospitality in the venue for the past couple of months. I look forward to many more epic streams. Thank you, MGM Ballin. You don't have to be in the venue, bro. The uh, on-demand feature is just as good, bro. It'll be in your sub boxes at some point on Saturday morning. Guys, we have kicked ass here for three-plus hours. I am all but spent. And I'm glad that you guys spent the Thursday evenings. Well, your Thursday evenings with me, man. Seriously. But we're about to get out of here, man. We're about to get out of here. I'm about ready to uh, call it a night. And I'll see you guys back here Friday night for SmackDown on OTS. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Coil Phoenix. A member for five months. Thank you for the recommitment, Coiled Phoenix. Appreciate you. Just wanted to say happy holidays to all of my OTS family and to you as well, JD. Please keep up the good work and hope you feel better soon. Thank you, Coiled Phoenix. I love to see the recommitments, man. I love seeing the recommitments. Anyway, guys, I will be back live tomorrow night, Friday night, SmackDown. Supposed to be a big show, big title match, and Sami Zayn, 12-man gauntlet match. So we'll be here to talk about that. Thank you for all the Super Chats, guys. Thank you for the recommitments to the OTS VIP club. Make sure you guys follow me on social media at JD from NY206. That's Twitter, 
and Instagram. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for all notifications. Make sure you guys follow me on social media, man. It's the best way to keep up to date on the show. That's pretty much all I got. That's all I got, man. I'm exhausted. But tomorrow, man, live. It'll be the last live stream of the year before day one. It'll legitimately be the last live stream of the year before day one, man. And we'll be back at it for a brand new year. But until tomorrow night, guys, I need two things. Number one, I need those guitar emojis in the chat. My VIPs, those Mustang emojis, if you got them. And I need that music on max, bro. I'm getting out of here. Thank you guys so much for a great live stream on this Thursday night. I am JD, and I'll see you guys tomorrow night for SmackDown. See you guys later.